0: Exist for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network, so for all things media, check out cageclub.me. Everybody. Welcome back to Exodus Podcast, the show where we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, and marvels week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Today, we're going to take a look at two amazing collections of stories, but before that, we have an awesome interview with Jay Ferber. Jay was responsible for Generation X 45, 48 through 62, and one of the annuals, and we had an amazing time sitting down with him. He filled us in on all sorts of amazing secrets, and uh, things that didn't happen, some amazing behind-the-scenes stuff for things that did. It was an awesome time. After that, we're going to take a look at two collections, King in Black Symbiote Spider-Man 1-5, through as well as Guardians 13-16, through so stick around for those. But here's that awesome Jay Ferber interview to kick things off, and if you like what you hear, don't forget, you might like what you see, so check us out over on YouTube, Twitter, and Patreon at X's for Podcast, where you can get more exclusive content. Hey everybody, and welcome back to X's for Podcast, where we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, And marvels week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N I C O A C T I O N.
1: And I'm Josh Wheel. As always, you can find me at Asleep at the Wheel, W E I L, on Twitter and Asleep at the Wheel.com. And for the next two years as the progressive Democrat running for U.S. Senate in Florida, you can find me across social media at Wheel, the number four U.S. Senate, and at JoshWheel.org. And we are here, not
0: just the two of us, though it is always a great time to just be here with Josh. It's such a blast. But no, we have a great calling a higher calling a, a higher calling for mutant education and when you need mutant education there is no better place to go than josh's very own favorite gen x and we have the creme de la creme on gen x absolutely my favorite run on the title and you know josh i believe it is yours as well
1: uh, we are lucky enough to have jay ferber with us today hey jay ferber
2: hey guys how's it going
1: Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Pleasure to be here. I haven't talked Generation X in a long long time.
1: I am our resident Generation X lover who finds reasons to bring <laughs> it up and just scream into the wind that, you know, when I need more Page Guthrie in my life in 2021 and mention these issues on our podcast on a regular basis. So, um very this cool. is this is a very exciting day for Oh, fantastic. It's
0: actually also pretty exciting for me. I actually like a lot of your other uh, Uh, maybe less X notable work at Marvel as well. I worked at a comic shop in like 2005, 2007. So everything that came through the doors uh, was sort of up for grabs and everything that I could find in in the back issue bins was up for grabs. And, you know, as I was going over your bibliography, because, you know, we all know what we know, but it's always really important to try and connect with who the artist is when you're about to ask them questions. Some of the, the sheer breadth of your work that I've interacted with that I had never realized was your work is really fascinating. And I'm going to have some, not so not necessarily as tight to the details questions as Josh is going to have, but I'm really excited to know what it was like for you as a writer coming up during this time, really uh, playing in an, in an era that was a little bit the greats aging out. Again, you know, the new generation of greats aging out and, you know, you being a part of this new group of writers coming in. And it's just so exciting, so. I'm sorry. I'm just really excited. I'm just really
1: excited. That is awesome. I'm excited to talk about it. For the listeners, your Generation X run begins with issue 45 and then works 48 through 62. So you were preceded by the Larry Hama era. Great Larry Hama! You actually kind of jumped in. I've been rereading some of his Wolverine. I'm in a really nice, fun spot in like the 50s right now with a bunch of Mojo and Spiral and Shatterstar stuff. And yeah, (laughs) Larry Hama also notable, along with Jay Ferber, for being, you know, one of of the two as far as we know solid human who wrote <laughs> Generation X because history has not been kind to that battery. It's a weird um, weird unattractive hour. look at the bookends man <laughs> I hadn't
2: thought about it in that way
1: but it's yeah like right there. oh well go when you when you go through them and you're like should we talk about it's this so guy or, or, and then yeah. there's this guy oh god this guy was on there too man
0: <laughs> I just I, I think it's I'm so excited to talk about this era because as I'm I'm like such a big Larry Hama fanboy like I have an entire shelf dedicated to how much I love Wolverine behind me like Wolverine's a huge 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 thing for me and so Larry Hama is a huge huge thing for me but I often have made the joke I don't know that Larry Hama had his finger on the pulse of what was hip in 1997 like I just don't know that that was that was the synonymous moment and there was just such a breath of young joy because I was I was younger than the Gen X kids looking up to them at this point so like yeah man I'm just so excited to talk about the ham of Ferber handoff
1: <laughs> that's exactly where I was too and, and to be honest I think you know, when you're coming up and you're in that junior high range, like that's when the teenage characters are kind of most impressive on you, not when you're like the exact same age. And, and, you know, we sometimes hit that. But really, that that next thing is when you're you're just overtaken by it. And so Nico and I are, are roughly the same age and both had that exact same experience with this. And I think one of the things that makes the other two really notable and good runs on this book special is the art, you know, so that initial run by Scott Lobdell is probably probably most special, not necessarily because I mean, and not to take anything away from what Scott Lobdell did on this book, but Chris Boccolo was just phenomenal. And the the edge and the feel and what he did to these characters and making it feel so unique was special. And Terry Dodson and the Dodson's had a very different approach. And it's it's a lot of what marks and why I think some people kind of lump together AMA and your run because you both worked the Dodson's there. Mm -hmm. And for me, and also Nico and I are both high school teachers, So we work with teenagers. And one of the things that we find most frustrating in comics is when artists feel the need to make teenage characters be super ultra sexy in just an awkward, like in just an uncomfortable way when you're like, wow, that's a teenager. That's, uh." and the Dodsons did such an amazing job of of visually representing these characters while keeping them fully and respectably clothed in Mm -hmm. honestly, what is in 90s fashion of the, the larger kind of more baggy. Long sleeve, full pants style. So it wasn't awkward, but it was. I never felt like I was getting put
0: on a list for reading it.
2: <laughs>
1: Excellent point. So, so you come in on forty five. I don't know. So I'd love for you to tell us the background of this. Was this an audition? Was this did you know you were going to be taking over because Hama had been writing through forty four? You jump in for that one issue, which is really dealing with the repercussions of the big Psylocke Shadow King Psy War that happened over in Adjective List seventy seven and seventy eight, and. Then Hama comes back to wrap up on the following two issues before you take over full time in 40. So what was the story set up there?
2: Yeah, I I have to remember. I I can't remember which came first. If I wrote that fill-in, because it was a fill-in. It it wasn't uh, like when I wrote that issue, I didn't know I'd be taking over the book. So I I believe I got that fill-in and was then invited to pitch on what I would do to take it over because we knew Larry was leaving. And so I put together a pitch knew It was kind of a bake-off. A bake-off is what they call when they have multiple writers all pitching on the same project. And, you know, they just pick whichever one they like best. And I got it. And and so then I really, my run really started with 48. Because 45 was just kind of a placeholder. I, I guess, I don't know if Larry needed a break or was behind schedule or, or what was going on there. But, but 45 is where I really started putting...
1: Too busy being G.I. Joe.
2: 40, yeah. <laughs> 48 is where I really started... You know, putting in into motion the stuff I wanted to do.
1: And forty five is a great single issue, so great, um, and it focuses and it does a lot for the two telepaths on the team who mm-hmm. are most affected by the fallout of Cy which are Emma Frost and Jonathan Starsmore at Chamber. Because these are two characters that you know their psychic abilities aren't just their powers; these are things that have affected the way that play a major part in how they interact with other people in their lives. Um, and I thought you know, for a writer coming in on the first issue to really nail and have great human moments with Emma and Chamber was was a fantastic start. And I know I made a point on my website that it's a great issue for people who, for all of the people who have forgotten and think that Emma Frost didn't become a real character until uh, New X-Men 114, <laughs> right, that there was a lot of good work done in these pages.
2: Oh, I loved Emma. She was one of my favorite characters. It really started with Scott Love and Chris, uh, what they did with her in in their run really I just you know continued from what they had set up but I love that that hard exterior and her sort of moral fluidity I guess just made her super interesting to write the way she kind of grappled with her own
3: conscience
0: and I think one of the things that's most interesting about your first issue being 45 is that there's not a lot of male Marvel X-Men kind of telepaths you have Xavier Mm -hmm. but Xavier is a jerk and a creep and so like let's not model kids on Xavier so hard and you know it's so interesting that Chamber is such a unique character and that was one of the things that I think you know if I had been an editor and I was looking at people pitching I would be like but this guy already knows the voices like especially because characters like Gaia just really weren't developed enough in so many ways over the course of the character's existence to feel like when you read 45 this is someone who knows the characters that we sat here and said was it a fill-in or was it you know a get it going kind of thing it really does speak to the fact that you know there was a a specific point of view here that was perhaps lacking for teen books for a while. You know, I think the last time there was a a young, real male voice vibe with probably not to be that guy, but the Sienkiewicz, Claremont, New Mutants. Mm. I feel like for a really long time between there was kind of a what I'm going to call fruit snack aggression sort of to a lot of the characters. This was angst instead of anguish. And I feel like it really pops off the page for Chamber right away. Your
2: Chamber really does have mm-hmm. a voice. Well, I appreciate that. That's uh, it, It's interesting because I was not a Generation X fan when I got asked to, to do this fill-in. I honestly don't know if I'd even read <laughs> issue before. I ran to my local comic shop and bought whatever I could to get caught up. I, I was a big X Men fan and I, I knew the universe and the characters and stuff, but Gen X in particular, a lot of those characters were a little new to me. And Chamber, Chamber and Skin, I think I struggled with the most. So I'm I'm very uh, flattered and glad that that uh, Chamber turned out so well. In
1: in your opinion. I, I love I, I think it's such a great moment for him and we're coming off of Hamas 44 which has you know kind of split among three stories but one of them is you know Paige going back home Kentucky and they're kind of him really struggling the emotions like he wants to be with her but he just can't like communicate it uh, he's too much the sad emo boy and, and so you know you really just nailed the character in, in one panel when he had the line and I didn't write it down for beta but just basically you know yeah I got my powers back a couple days ago i just didn't want to talk to any of y'all yeah i just like, didn't
2: say <laughs> yeah yes. yeah and i only remember that because i reread these issues this morning i uh, <laughs> otherwise i would have almost no memory of, of this stuff it's so long ago
1: well and so that's good that'd be i'm assuming you have the floppies then
2: i, I do most think. of them i actually i found uh, I, I, a couple holes in my collection i think i'm missing four issues but i i have the bulk of them.
1: these 90 and so it's it's one of the things i have in my notes here to kind of talk to really bad you about years. you know these 90s comics had some of the highest print runs just because of their era that mm-hmm. comics had ever seen. But the stories, for the most part, especially in the X line, are some of the least reproduced. <laughs> um, and for this series, Generation X, not only are there very few trade prints, but they're not even all available digitally, legally, to yeah. acquire and read. So it's a very difficult book for new readers and people who are, you know, in the digital trade generation yeah. to kind of go back and and find or or consume.
2: Prints. I was kind of Shocked because I'm i a big comicsology guy and I, I went to go on there To track down these missing issues and I was Like wow they're not even on here that, uh, that was kind of surprising to me
0: And you know I respect that Marvel Has long said sort of in a Even before there was a Disney vault involved In Marvel's behavior that there's kind of A Marvel vault and they cycle Stories when it makes sense and something we've talked About a number of times is it used to be the rule Of 20 and now it's the rule of a little bit more like 10 but when a generation of writers Grow up and take over the reins. you sort of see those characters Mm kind of come back into vogue. And when it was Generation X's turn, they kind of did a completely unrelated Generation X. So it's so fascinating that a company that prides itself on its reprint library, and it doesn't shy away from Generation X in any conceivable way, has really only recently entered the Generation X reprint game with the Epic Collection, which is more not Generation X than it is.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Are you yeah. following the current uh, Krakoan-Hickman era of X-Men by any chance? Uh,
2: I respectfully am not. I, I don't read that many comics these days. Uh, it's just a matter of not enough hours in the day with everything I have going on. I have friends working on some of those books, and I know they're doing really well, but I haven't kept up.
1: It's, it's been a f- fantastic time creatively, and we've been seeing a lot more of these characters coming back.
2: That's very cool.
1: It's with DC as well in terms of, you know, the Young Justice characters coming back. Over in Marvel, you know, Monet's been who I definitely comes off as one of your favorites from this run. Oh, I love Monet, yeah. Monet has been huge lately, popping up in a lot of books. Nate Gray, X-Man, was the star of a a big crossover, the one that led into the House of X in this new era. And to actually uh, bring up a character that wasn't in your Gen
0: X run that I know you did 32 pages on, X-23 (laughs) has remained such a mainstay of the Marvel Universe. And I have to point out, if we're talking about the Marvel Universe, then we have to take a second to talk about the fact that Captain Universe just played such a major role in the Marvel Universe as the plot linchpin that closed out King and Black, which spawned out of the pages of Venom and spawned out of the pages of Thor and just happens to look like a spawn character, which is why I guess I keep saying spawn. But Captain <laughs> Universe, you know, you played with X-23 and she's popping now too. Like Josh was saying, it's so interesting how so many characters you had your hands on at some point have really mm-hmm. risen, to, uh, risen to prominence in in dynamic
2: ways. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, I I, I know X-23 is still around. It, I mean, she's, I think, was slash is called Wolverine is for a while. I don't forever. know what her code is these days. Cool. Awesome.
1: It's a big thing.
2: That is great. I didn't know Captain Universe was used in that. Oh, uh, it was actually capacitor. really cool. Yeah, cool. it was uh,
1: <laughs> not to be that guy, but it was good.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, that's great. I love it. I'll put check it out.
0: So if I can steal the mic from Josh for a minute, because I do have some really, uh, I have some questions. Because one of the things that I think that you had the responsibility of was you had the responsibility of striking a unique balance. And it's something Josh and I and the show in general talk about is how do you have a generation of mutants described as young or new? How do you contextualize a generation in a way that forever infantilizes them? And one of the difficult things about navigating a book called Generation X, as the term was going out of vogue and was becoming a less important thing, the idea of Generation X as the 90s were winding down. It was really a different terminology than it was originally being used as. And you've got Monet, who you were lucky enough to come in after a lot of the Monet uh, entanglements were unwinding and it got so confusing that sometimes you didn't think that the last issue actually was being picked up with. Like, it was was jarring. And you you came in in so many ways after the pressure of the book had to prove itself was over, but then there was a pressure to keep it vital. Was there a feeling like, you know, there was, not to over-romanticize it, but there's a certain teenage heartbeat that runs through a Gen X type title. Was it that sort of running Mm -hmm. every second to try and keep the book exciting, or am I just over-romanticizing 90s comics?
2: Uh, I don't recall a pressure to keep it exciting. I think that there was, I'm pretty sure when I took over, the idea to open up the school to human kids was something that came from my editor Frank Pitaricci, I don't believe I pitched that. I think that was something he came up with, and so everyone pitching on the book incorporated that into their, uh, you know, into their pitch. I believe so, but I, I don't remember so much a pressure to keep it super exciting. I, I just know that Frank and I, one of the reasons we we hit it off so well is we're both soap opera nerds. We were both big General Hospital all fans, and so right, nice. This was our opportunity to to kind of really flex those muscles and to really bring more of the soap opera back and, and just to play with love triangles and secrets and, and, and that sort of thing. Because for me, that was more exciting than any fight scene in a comic. I'm here for the relationships and the serialized storytelling. And that was what I really wanted to bring t- to beef up in the book, as opposed to superhero battles and, and just action.
1: And for those of us who are a longtime X fan, you know, the serialized soap opera type, you know all the different relationship storytelling, that was, I mean, that's the Claremont era. Like that is.
3: Oh yeah,
2: you know, it's 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 Claremont and it's and it's Wolfman and Perez's Teen Titans. Those were the two books, and and probably Levitz's Legion a little bit too. That really, you know, made those books soap operas. Uh, I mean, none of the. I mean, you can go back to the original Spider Man as well. I, I don't want to leave that out of the equation, but but yeah, no, a lot of these books are soap operas.
1: They did, but I don't. For for me, like Levitz's Legion and Spider Man in particular, did not. have have that serialized way like there are parts of the claremont run that like when you try to tell people a story you're like yeah so you want to read like oh no 181 so great okay so you got to go back to yeah. like 170 it all
3: starts with giant yeah size. it's
1: basically gonna start there and then it'll wrap up around like <laughs> 201 basically right. like yes, yeah sure. like if you really want to read 181 like there's this 40 it's the middle of like a 40 page because of the that long yes. serialized yeah there's very few few other books that have told stories like right. that.
2: And, and that was something I read into uh, both on Generation X and when I took over New Warriors is that I wanted to tell those big, long, sprawling stories, but the market was so fickle at the time that... Uh, we didn't have that luxury. Like I had to, I could do soap opera, but the stories had to be much more abbreviated and, and couldn't take 20 issues to, to pay off and, and let simmer. Stuff had to, to move quicker. So so in that respect, there was some pressure to keep things moving just because, you know, these books weren't sales juggernauts and we didn't quite have the luxury to just let the stuff have that much of a slow burn.
1: So I do want to go through because I have I have a, a bunch of key issues that I particularly love here um, kind of touch. John and starting with your first one so 48 is a very special issue as far as I'm concerned because it's this fantastic Jubilee and Monet issue that as I read it today has some pretty affecting words about the way well-meaning ableist folk treat those with disability mm-hmm. and so for me like you just came out swinging with this issue you brought page back you brought another Frost sister into the mix you had that great final page reveal of our South Australian <laughs> friend Maggot who another 90s yeah. child- Meanie and meanie forever. Um, (laughs) But that that plot with Jubilee and Monet, uh, you know, there's a point where Monet just can't take it anymore. They have this big fight because, you know, Jubilee can't figure out why M hates her so much. She's like, when you were in the penny body, I was so nice to you. Like, I was the only person who was nice to you and I was the best. And M's just snapping like, you fed me apples. You treated me like I was a horse, like (sighs) I was your pet. And it's this kind of jarring because, you know, if, if you've been reading along, like, we all read Gen X and no one knew what Penance's deal was, but, you know, Jubilee was well-meaning. Like, there was nothing in that that came off as someone, you know, speaking down or or belittling that, but you could totally feel it the way it came out in those pages. So I'd love if you could comment or talk about what you were really opening that up with the start of your run, what you were going for there.
2: You know, I wish I could comment more. That is one of the issues that I am missing. I have vague memories memories of it. Uh, but even hearing you talk about it, I don't even remember writing. I was like, wow, that sounds pretty good. But <laughs> I, I don't remember. Yeah. I, I do remember the bit about the scorpion and and the uh, fox, fox. or
1: the uh, yeah, Scorpions right. and foxes. That's...
2: Right. I remember that whole little uh, Aesop's fable. But boy, I'm going to have to pass on that. <laughs> really. I'm sorry. I have so little memory of, uh, of that particular story without being able to look at it to refresh my memory.
1: So the introduction of Maggot was telling Over in adjectiveless X Men was that something that you asked for? Did you want to bring Jafeth into the comic, or was that pushed on? Was that no? That was something
2: that I that I was saddled with. I think I've come to appreciate Maggot in in hindsight, but at the time I was like, really, I got to do this guy. And I think I had some fun with it that does another issue that I that I'm missing so I again I only have vague memories but I, I do remember for sure that it was not my idea to bring maggot in that was something that came down from on high
1: even aside from how special it is because Nico and I love maggot it's a great opportunity from a writer you know for you to be able to bring in an outside character and start you know having him commenting on things going on and misconceptions and you know get to make all of those comments within dialogue as opposed to exhibition so you know for an early issue it plays really well and it also gives us a really great sink and chamber moment one that we discuss a lot on this podcast because in the Krakoan era mutants can be resurrected they get to kind of make living wills about how they want to be resurrected so if they had damage or things that happened to them in their lives do they want to come back with those scars or not and yeah. the character that I am most waiting for like why hasn't it happened yet every week is this going to be the week is chamber yeah. get resurrected and have a face Right, because sure. that was a completely accidental thing that has been tormenting yeah. him his whole life and and you really set it down in in your early issues by having Sync use his powers with Chamber and oh, right. be able to control it so he doesn't accidentally blow his face off. That was a big thing, not just for Sync, but it also really developed the character of Chamber in ways to show us what he was capable of and what those powers were in a way that just writing him couldn't.
2: Yeah, that was, uh, I really liked Sync a lot. and And part of that, I think part of my mission statement, I think, or part of my intent at least was. To, to sort of push and evolve the character's powers a little more and show them using them in new ways and having Sync be able to use powers in ways that the original character couldn't. Uh, not only was it a cool power set for Sync, but I think it also like in the instance of Chamber, it helps shine a light on on somebody like Chamber who now could feel inadequate for like, why can't I do that? Why is this guy who's only had these powers for 10 minutes doing things I can't do? And it, So it's a great psychological tool I think to play with and sort of give these characters some some self-doubt in in ways they might not have had before. It could make things tense with sync as well. Like, is it is he showing off? Is it is it respectful of him to do that? All that kind of stuff. I think just made for, it, it was really ripe for drama. But
1: Everett would never. He's such a good boy. Right. He is. <laughs> he, he is the best boy. He's also, if if you're not reading the new, mm-hmm. he is one of the main characters of the new main X-Men title oh, cool. uh, that Jerry Duggan is writing. So just oh, nice. the, the adjective X Men title, uh, issue two came out this week, and Sink that I've been
2: meaning to check out. I like Jerry's stuff and a lot. Laura and who
1: and and X twenty three. Laura Sink oh, nice. and Laura are both on it, and cool. there's there, there's some some stuff brewing there. Interesting. I will check it out. So I also want
0: to uh, sort of come in with an interesting, I guess, perspective, and that's that there was a period mm-hmm. of time where you were the young book guy. You worked on Young Justice. <laughs> you worked on yeah. Titans. You worked on New Warriors. You worked on uh, Generation X and was there an expectation I mean, you know, you even did the, the fill-in on X-Men Evolution, right? So, like was there an expectation that you were the youth voice guy? Like, was that like a thing that just started to happen where they were like Hey, Jay, come be young <laughs>
2: yeah, A little bit I mean, part of it, I think, was by design I mean, two of my favorite comics of all time were the New Teen Titans and New Warriors, and so I I, I loved like, young team books I sought them out, like, I actively lobbied to get New Warriors and revive that. I actively sought to get Titans eventually as well. Because you
0: kind of did the same um, thing with Gen X I, with Titans, right? Where you did that uh, issue 13 and then you did some co-writing yeah. and then
3: you took over.
2: Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was sort of a... Devin Grayson kind of passed the baton along to me on that one. And when I took over to co-write, I'm trying to think if I knew I would be taking over the book. I don't think it was a done deal, but, but Devin was doing me a solid and trying to grease the wheels for me a little bit. And it worked out until it didn't. Um, but by the time... Titans had wrapped up, I think I was feeling typecast and wanted to not do, just just to show off what else I could do and, and just sort of expand my horizons. But but yeah, for a while there, for a couple years, I was very much the teenage superhero team teen guy. And then
0: Marvel sort of abandoned the idea of a teenage superhero team for a little while. During the Grant Morrison era, yeah. everything had to be gritty and beak, which, don't get me wrong, I think Grant Morrison's yeah. new X-Men is, you know, perfection. But like, it was sort of ridiculous that Quentin Quire was the prototypical male of that era. Yeah. That's a problem. <laughs> for me so I think it's really interesting now I only have one other big picture question before I know Josh probably has a thousand questions mm-hmm. in, in great detail but it always struck me so odd because again I worked at a comic shop at this time how on earth did you wind up writing the middle issue of a five-issue doc Samson miniseries
2: oh yeah um trying to think if that I don't was it was it branded as a miniseries or was it just a series that didn't I last feel like
0: as a guy working at a comic shop I was under the impression it was a miniseries maybe it was an ongoing book beforehand and something happened but i very clearly remember collecting it because i was a big fan of pads hulk and doc samson as such a part of that and i remember being Mm -hmm. like there's a Filling in my fucking
3: miniseries.
2: A- <laughs> yeah that was i think that came about because i had, i was just talking to that editor who had that and he also had he was when he did the captain universe stuff mark panacea god how do you say his last yeah. yes that guy i think we were just talking about doing something together and he's like hey you know i have got i need an issue of doc samson you know do you want to do that And i was like, sure so i did that and then that led to captain universe which they had, which had um, the amazing
0: fantasy backup and,
2: stories right right so it was just a, a fill-in gig just to, to help him out out I don't think there was anything I, I don't know why they needed to fill in if somebody again fell behind or or what the what the underlying issue was but at that point it was just a fun game. awesome so i took it
3: and
0: oh no i have one last question i'm the worst josh and i promise it's all yours iron fist and wolverine one through four i uh, you know it's one of those mini series that i feel like for some reason you know iron fist had so few appearances for so long people over remember mm-hmm. iron fist in sort of like a brew bakerification of the character retroactively right. it's like quite literally. Luke Cage said "Sweet Christmas" fewer times in his entire existence than he did in New Avengers Volume One. It's just like an actual <laughs> thing. He had said "Sweet yeah. Christmas" seven times up through when Avengers got him. Right. Um, so, <laughs> what what was it like writing a character like Iron Fist? Who I feel every time he was used, it was to potentially reboot him. What was was that like? The feeling yeah. with that was it always maybe this will be the time.
2: Well, from what I remember, doesn't he lose yes. the Iron Fist? <laughs> <Friday morning? laughs> yes. It was. It was more, it was sort of a consolation prize for New Warriors okay. getting canceled because we had introduced the new Iron Fist in New Warriors and then that book got canceled. And then I forget, I think Bobby Chase just approached me and Jamal about like, hey, you know, do you want to do something with Iron Fist? And we would team up with Wolverine because Wolverine sells. And I, I can't remember what the overall purpose was, but but I know that it was mainly to beef up the, the new villainous Iron Fist. And then Jamal and I just got to play with a bunch of our favorite Marvel characters. and It was a lot of fun for us. But even even though I wrote it, I wasn't a fan of having to depower Danny Rand. I, I like Iron Fist and would have preferred he just stay Iron Fist. I get it,
1: bro. I really, really get it. Nice. And, and again, this is another, you know, where you just kind of happened to be doing this work in an era that the industry has not republished or made available. Like, that's the type of thing that, like you said, like, Wolverine sells. Like, you would think Marvel would have had trade paperbacks of that coming out, like, on the day that, like, the Iron Fist Netflix series dropped. Like, hey, look, if you don't know Iron Fist, here he is with Wolverine. I think there is a trade. There is a trade of that. So, it's
0: like there's, um, the Daredevil miniseries from that era, as well as the Bob Gale six-issue arc are all collected in this seldom in print Daredevil miniseries uh, a trade called like cruel huh. and unusual, and I believe that's the same kind of treatment that the Iron
1: Fist is currently printed in. It's printed in like a, a bunch of Iron yeah. Fist stories book.
2: It's yeah, oh, you're it's right. not
1: called Iron Fist Wolverine. That's why I'm finding no, absolutely just, nothing when I look for it.
2: It's just uh, hold on one. Yeah, second. it's
1: it's in a really <laughs> tremendous series of
0: super compilations they did that focuses on this era. The Daredevil one is spectacular, and it contains like twelve issues that were never recollected any other way. Yeah that's it
1: Yep. Yes. Yeah, oh the return of Kun Lun see yeah. I saw that when I was I have it on that. Comixology no
2: yeah. yeah and it's got yeah it's just got a whole bunch of it's got a a two issue series a three issue series the Iron Fist Wolverine series an Uncanny Origins one shot and a Marvel Knights one shot <laughs> yep that's the it
0: Uncanny Origins <laughs> one shot is from such an unbelievable run of books that's that's a,
1: that's that, that's a classic that's a really interesting it's classic <laughs> I like it so getting back into your run. Sure. Um, you're moving towards the big 5 big issue 50. So most writers love getting to have a big event issue. Uh, I would like to know like what your big 5 issue was a crossover with X-Man? Yeah. Um, <laughs> was that exciting? Did no. You, we have to apologize? <laughs> I, I feel like we might need to apologize.
2: Yeah, that was not, again, that was something else that was just like, all right, issue 50, you're going to do this thing with X-Man. And that's one of the ones that I did reread And yeah, my X-Man, the X-Man stuff is barely in it. It it really pays off in the second half. I just had fun sending the kids to Boston for the day and, you know, getting to introduce- And that's the best part of the,
1: like, to be fair, like them wandering around Boston is like, that's- And I I messed up
2: because most of my, I told the story on Twitter once, I think, most of my knowledge of Boston comes from the Spencer for Hire TV show that I was obsessed with I cannot
0: tell you how much I respect you. My Boston knowledge comes from Cheers.
2: So I wrote a scene where they go to like the seedy part of Boston. It was called the combat zone. And I was some fans on some message board were like, yeah, that doesn't exist anymore, man. Like they cleaned that up. Like it literally had been totally gentrified. It had gone away. But in that issue, it's still there. And In the Marvel universe, there's still a combat zone, or at least there was in whatever that was 1999. You know, we had a bigger page count. It was fun to just write some fight scenes that weren't in the danger room. So, yeah, it was fun, but it, it wasn't really uh i don't think it was befitting a 50th anniversary issue for a book like that to to be the start of a crossover of some other title that is barely related
1: yeah it's i mean it's a thing that comics it's it's an industry thing and you know us as readers always have to deal with like oh look they're tying my very popular book in with this thing nobody wants to read so we'll <laughs> all buy an issue of the thing none of us want to read yay yeah. so yeah we we still i think i was just complaining about that on our, our yeah regular
0: and I even understand the drive to say we're at 50 and, you know, both x man and Generation X launched within six months of one another. So if you liked comics in 1994 and you thought no one was publishing comics from 1994 anymore, let me tell you, we have hit a record number. No one's ever had 50 issues before, not of two <laughs> books. And I really understand the idea behind the pitch. They had been interconnected before this idea that Emma Frost could have been like a backup super telepath but as a guy who was obsessed with both books, even as like, I'm the Nate gray fan. I'm the one, um, (laughs) as the guy obsessed with both books, there was nothing in it for the reader that made sense. If they had done a big ramp up leading up to it, I'd have gotten it, but it did feel like they said, Hey, Gen X met X-Men once in like issue 23. It's fine. And that editorially did kind of read that way. Like,
2: yeah, it, it, it felt thrown together.
1: So over the next few issues, after that you brought back Tom Corsi you gave Paige a new love interest which which hurt me very much (laughs) Drama. you had had some X-Men big name X-Men visit his guest teachers you sent the kids to Madripoor which I mean is a tried and true tradition but you know always a little dicey for teenagers and then you hit what is arguably for me the high point in your run a two part story where the kids wake up and they're trapped in the bodies of the Hellions on the day they all get murdered by Fitzroy and Uncanny Interesting. and this is an incredibly well crafted comic I I did a deep dive on these two a little while back on my website and part of it was reading them and and writing about it side by side with the original 281 and but for you and the Dodson's the, the dedication to synchronization here is outstanding and I, I'd love if you could tell me about your inspiration for this story and what the creative process was for this I know that Terry Dodson was credited alongside you as a storyteller or plotter on this one so what, what was tell us about the creative process a really cute
0: little note that I, I found in my research for this Marvel was still At that point doing cute things The solicit for this issue, the original Solicit includes Marvel memo, fans of Jay Ferber's writing should check out This month's New Warriors number one The original solicit for 56 contains that note
2: Nice, love it. From what I remember, that that wasn't my idea for the story. I, I believe Bob Harris, who was the editor in chief at the time, because that- you're going to make me say something
1: nice about Bob Harris. No, you can <laughs> drive right past. Well, oh my it- god. <laughs>
2: It was just my editor said, hey, Bob said, you know, this, this should you should do this for a story that the kids wake up and they're in the bodies of the Hellions and it's the day the Hellions die. And that was all I had to go with. And it was just go for it. And, and it's it's it's
1: sold right off the bat by a just amazing double page splash by Terry and Rachel Dodson yeah, showing all of the characters looking at the reflections of the Hellions in the mirror and just synced up. And it's so complex and beautiful. It's it's a fantastic piece of art that completely puts you right in the story from the
2: game. Yeah, they, they did a great job. And I, I'm not sure why it was credited as like storytellers instead of story and art. I don't know if maybe I just wrote a looser plot and Terry fleshed more of it out. Or it could have just been that I was, because I did work Marvel style, which meant I would write a plot, Terry would draw it, and then I would write dialogue. I think other books were starting to credit their teams that way and I was just following suit. But I don't recall there being anything different about the way we worked on this issue than other issues if there was I apologize to Terry for not remembering it and it's interesting that that you hold it in such high regard because my memory was that the ending was terrible but then so I was reading it I was like oh I remember not this not paying off at all but it kind of held up Uh, the the motivation of of Adrian doing this to torture Emma psychologically by making her relive this day and, and see her new students die it worked better than I remembered it working, I guess.
1: And that tracks and plays with every flashback we've had to young Emma and her sisters in future mm. comics all the way through.
2: Nice. Yeah, it was, I mean, it's one of those things where reading it, like, I wish, I would do a better job with that story now, I think. Let me put it that way. It, given that sort of prompt and those marching orders, I'm glad you liked it. I think I could make it even better these days.
1: It For me, it, it and I remember really loving it the first time because I, I had come in, I had come in and started reading Gen X um, around issues eight or nine so shortly after it had started right after you know age of a couple months after age of apocalypse and you know i went back and picked up the issues i was missing but i had not gone back it wouldn't be until i was older that i went back and picked up all those uncannies and actually read the issue Hmm. that i had heard referenced in gen x so (laughs) many times in uncanny two and one and and so especially like in the reading them side by side like there were things that you did with you know husk running up to you know iceman and he's hitting on her as you know the character that he's has to be and it it played because it's like the exact same dialogue from 281 but now you're seeing it happen sure. because it's not because like this girl is just like da, 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 I'm gonna you're go right. talk to the cute boy it's Paige running over because like I gotta see if the X-Men can help us and it, so it added depth and played they just played so nicely together which is a credit because I mean one of the things that I think you know deep dive comic fans those of us who, who read all of this and remember and take it seriously that drives us nuts is when that stuff is neglected or forgotten. And, yeah. you know, nothing more crazy than, you know, when it's neglected or forgotten really close together, like mm-hmm. month after month, or sometimes by the same writer. Yeah. And so, you know, going back to someone else's work like that,
2: that I'm was one of the fun sort of homework assignments of that of that issue was was to go back and really immerse myself in that original story and find ways to to represent it and, and ways to to depict it from slightly a, a different point of view. So yeah, that was was really fun to just look at that source material and see where we could uh, you know replicate it where we could uh, you know jump off from it yeah that was a lot of fun
1: yeah i mean there's only i mean for my money there's essentially five issues of comics that if you're looking at who is the character emma frost before generation x issue one right you're talking about new mutants 38 through 40 uncanny 281 then uncanny Mm. and so like that is part of the like fundamental understanding of emma as Mm. she was laid out to us
0: I do have a question. Toward the end, I guess the Dodsons stopped being on the book with as much consistency, especially those last two issues. Yeah. Was that a hint of things? Was that like the writing was on the wall, or was it just sort of like transitioning?
2: I think it was just transitioning. I seem to recall, and I this isn't a slight to, to Terry and Rachel that you know that, that they they were not artists that could do twelve issues a year, just with with their process and level of detail and, and all that. So we were. Ex- the fill-ins were expected, I think But but yeah, towards the end, I don't remember exactly what was going on But I, I do, yeah, there were books with multiple artists 61 has uh,
1: quite a number of artists and, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, and I, But I mean, that's, I mean, like, we wouldn't expect them to be 12 issue. Like, any artist right. that, you know, if you love, like, the facial expressions Like, if they do emotion in facial expressions, they're not getting you right. Like, it's taking them more than 30 days to crank out Unless
0: issue. you're John um, Byrne and you leave nine pages completely
2: white Right. <laughs> but these days, I think those fill-ins are, are planned a little better ahead of time. And, and you know, yeah, exactly. Whereas, you know, there were times on, on Gen X where I would draw an issue and not know who was going to, or I would write it and not know who's going to draw it, which is never ideal. But yep. sometimes it's necessary.
1: So, so going in towards those final issues, after the Hellions two-parter, bring back Mondo. You have Black Tom and Juggernaut as well. So now real quick for the record before I wrap this up. there are a couple, right? Like they're totally... I mean, I'm a gay man with a husband, sure. Black like Juggernaut. they're gay, right?
2: <laughs> I, I'll sign off on that, sure.
1: Juggernaut loves him so much, he ran it's and wha- jumped just, off a cliff to follow I'm him I'm going to the ocean <laughs> to get you, baby!
0: Splash. You know, the point of the problem yeah. is, if he really did that, and he's unstoppable, how wouldn't he just sink? Yeah. It's true.
1: I imagine it to be like the Omega Red issue of the animated series where he just literally has to walk <laughs> on the bottom of the ocean. I can see that. So you also gave us that really great thing that writers and artists give us sometimes where uh, someone takes Juggernaut's helmet off and he's yeah. got the little tiny helmet hidden underneath it, which is always a, a delight. Yeah. And then you finish it all up with a Buffy-tastic solo story, Monet Vampire Slayer. <laughs> and now Monet had kind of left the school, so this brought him back to the massachusetts academy but it doesn't feel like a traditional wrap-up sign-off issue at the end of a creator's run like it was a your final issue only had one of the gen yeah. x characters in it yeah. um so did you feel that you got to end the book on your terms or how involved were you in the transition to the warren I mean, ellis the,
0: revolution the solicit even just as featuring a guest artist for the artist it doesn't have any sort <laughs> of
2: yeah, it was. We were just sort of limping along at that point. I I, I don't remember exactly when I knew that I was going to be off the book, but I, I don't recall there being a, a lot of interest in in me. You know, really wrapping things up. They just wanted. You know, Warren was just going to do whatever he was going to do. And my original plan for Monet and my original pitch was. We weren't going to do the Vampire Slayer stuff. She was going to get mixed up. There was an old group in that I was obsessed with from the Marvel Handbook called the Salem Seven that were like magic characters or something. And because the book took place in Salem, Massachusetts, I was going to introduce a new Salem Seven. And they were going to be like a coven of witches. And Monet was going to get mixed up with them and get mixed up with magic. And they'd be kind of a mean girls sort of group. And that never came together. And so I think my Vampire Slayer thing was some nod to that maybe. I don't I don't even re- in rereading the issues, I don't know why I sent her off away from the school for a handful of issues and then brought her back again. Like it, Reading it, it's pointless. Like there was, there was no reason for any of that to happen. I don't remember what my original intention was. It's even possible that my orders were, you know, it's your last issue. Warren wants Monet back. You got to bring her back. It could be as simple as that. I really don't remember.
1: You mentioned earlier about the pitch, right? So you wrote 45 and you were asked. At- to pitch is there anything from that original pitch that you didn't get to that that things kind of went left when you thought they were going to go right or you weren't able to accomplish I'd
2: have to think I, I might even still have it somewhere I'll, I'll have to look I should have looked for that when I was doing my research it, the Salem 7 thing is what I remember the most can't remember boy I don't nothing else jumps out but but let me dig around and if I can find it I'll send it to you
1: that would be incredible there's different ways to tell teenage stories and you know we mentioned earlier about you know what we prefer you know there are other artists that are, are really good the way the Dotsons are of depicting teenagers in ways where they don't have to be like sexy or erotic because they shouldn't be because they're children right David Baldeon is one that that we reference and love a lot in, in Ramos. Comics. so yeah Humberto Ramos was the first artist that I knew and loved and I always have a special place in my heart because the the book that hit me and defined me as a child and just had me living at my comic shop every day was Mark Wade and Humberto Ramos's Impulse. Oh, that was fantastic. And his style is so definitive and and his influences were so different from like the Marvel House style and the Jim Lee image, you know, infused super yep. muscles and gritty and so cross-hatching everywhere style that was Everyone's yeah. always at the time looking through blinds. That it was the he was the first artist yeah. that if I was walking down the aisle looking at new books, I could tell immediately that a cover was written by him and be like, this is my my guy. Yeah. So, yeah, I love Humberto run. but after you're 62 when you read through these now and you go into the the first issue of the Ellis Wood run it is immediately jarring <laughs> how all of a sudden they're all in tank tops and shorts that you know their underwear should be longer than <laughs> and they're all super Larry Stroman. They, they have yeah, that yeah. super long like everything stretched out legs nice. necks, Larry Stroman thing going to give them like 6 foot long legs and and it's like oh, it's completely jarring after coming off of a run that the even if the Dodsons weren't on it that was the reference part for fill in artist. Not that that's like uh not to say that it's wrong to, you know, have teenagers dressed like that in comics, but it yeah. was so much better. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's all Terry and Rachel. Uh-
1: did you have any because you, you got new costumes, they had the masks? were you involved in any of the creative design process working with the Dodsons on that? or was that um. all of that? I,
2: I think I probably saw sketches and would, would chime in with, with Frank, our editor, but I don't remember, I don't remember having any vivid memories about that process. Yeah, I just know we wanted them to have new training costumes and, and masks. And then we went with red and yellow just because it was different because all the other books did blue or black so often.
1: And you came in shortly after OZT and the, the Scott Lobdell kind of wrap up there when the main X book were going through a bit of a transition themselves. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't your book was not involved in Ages of Apocalypse or the 12 or any of the big crossovers that did go on where the X Office had had really been like super crossover, (laughs) everything must cross. Was there push from the editors for you to be in or from you to be out? I
2: don't really recall. I mean, you know, my run wasn't that long and I already had the, you know, I had the Nate Gray crossover thing to do. I I think if they wanted me to be involved in another crossover, I would have been. You know, we didn't usually have much choice in those matters. I, I don't recall ever, ever fighting it and succeeding.
0: Yeah, that's one of the costs of working with kids, and I think that's one of the things that we learned from the fall of the mutants back, you know, in 88, where essentially they were saying, you know, we hate this kid so much, kill Cypher. They killed Cypher, and look what happened. And I think, not that Generation X didn't take chances, and not that your book wasn't bold at times, but after killing Cypher, everyone was a little gun-shy on killing kids, and, you know, sure, Sure. right after that, everybody got real good with Crucible kids on lawns, don't get me wrong but I think one of the things that was, one of the reasons I think that we're here talking about this era and this run is because you were really, damned if you do damned if you didn't, you were in a really unique place because stories weren't being allowed to progress past their cultural zeitgeist imprinting and yet at the same time there was this call for edgier and I just think about how so much of what was done in your Gen X happened again two years later we saw the school reopen to more students in the pages of New X-Men we even saw like this is such a silly parallel but instead of the kids walking around having a good time just enjoying Boston I think about in Mark Miller's Ultimate X-Men where Beast and Cyclops were letting people get mugged so they could only save the people who would give them the best score in their little competition and there's like actual like mirrors not like that it's necessarily swipes or anything but there's so many mirrors of what you worked on that came right after it and it's such a shame that it wasn't at a more progressive time for the industry just by a year or two where it could have had that sort of lasting impact by credit and by source instead of as many of us who know the material know to credit the source but everybody gets a little gung-ho about new X-Men myself included but you know it is really interesting that you your work has so beautifully survived an era that was both hindering and over encouraging in a way that must have made it very difficult to create art that lasted.
2: Yeah it was an interesting time. Uh, You know, I was still it was my first book. I was a a very green writer. I was, geez, in my late 20s, I think. Yeah, I mean, I wish I would have been on there longer so that I could have done more and and had, that my run had more of a shape to it. You know, But my editor, the editor who hired me left just a few issues after hiring me. And so I had, you know, I had a different editor and we had a different dynamic and had, you know, different ideas of what the book should be. That that happened to me twice. Happened to me on Gen X and on Titans that the person hired me was gone within a couple issues. Well,
1: I'm personally very glad that you didn't kill any of the kids in this book. Because one, I love them all so much. Good. And and two, I, I thought that you did a good job, you know, it gets lost and forgotten that you know when they were introduced during Phalanx Covenant in Uncanny X-Men, that they did lose their first one. Like, they yeah. lost Clarice. Blink, Blink was the first casualty. Right. And you brought it up a couple times in the story as something lingering that, like, they remember that. You know, it made like Angelo a little gun-shy once or twice. And, you know, I, I love that again, too, because, you know, oftentimes take death in comics so casually, and especially today because everyone's died so many times. But, you know, to have it actually remind that, like, these are kids, and that's going to, like, impact and mess them up. Like, those things don't go away. It, it just made them more human and special and, and lovable to me in this. Like, they, if there's one thing that your run was that none of the other runs on the 75 issues of Gen X was, you made those kids lovable. Like... Yeah. Thank I you. love them the most in these issues um, they feel the most like kids and they least like costumes with vague personalities
0: yeah. <laughs> and the fact that you referenced one of the only things that would have been in trade print is it just also like just as a as a guy who cares about branding and SEO and shit like that I really think there's something great about the fact that at the point at which you were writing there was one Gen X trade paperback in print and it was sort of the origin of Gen X and it had this big red and yellow cover and there might have been one or two other things but yeah. there wasn't a lot that people could go out and read but by making that blank reference in the pages of Gen X you validated if someone made the choice to go out and buy that tree it made it feel like it mattered and it's a really interesting way to create synergistic branding across characters to take a look at what's available and say make it worth and I just think that's also a really clever
1: way to bring people to the earlier material as well
2: thank you yeah
1: recent these past few weeks they just finally released an essential edition of i want to say it's like about the first 16 or 18 issues of generation x yeah and it's a big deal because it's the first of those you know big yeah. cats that typically they do the entire run yeah
2: that would be so great
1: so i don't want to get myself too excited right <laughs> like i'm i'm a I'm a New York Mets fan, so I'm used to getting excited and then being disappointed. These are actually not essentials. This was an
0: epic collection, which is significantly different epic. in that they don't go in order, but rather they publish specifically the least printed and most in-demand runs. It's only issues one through nine, mm. plus all of the lead-up stuff from Phalanx Covenant. So it's, mm. uh, They're famous for doing really out of order, like Wolverine, Volumes 1, 2, 12, 13, 14, 27 And 36 are out So it's the kind of thing where They purposefully don't go in order They print they print complete runs And I think this is a run right. that's primed for it I think this would be a, yes. It would fit in the size They try to do it by two year period So they would label it the 99-2000 And they could cut it off before the Ellis They'd probably throw some hammer in there And it would probably It's gotta end in 62 yeah, no, no,
1: no, no, no. So, gotta... 62 and 63 have got to be separate edition right like i'm all for them reprinting it makes sense it's too separate like that is such a jump
2: (laughs) i hope you're right i would i would love to see it collected in any format
1: yeah, and and hopefully bring you know some more light and attention, uh, yeah. and love back to your run. Sure, everything old is new again. That's right. I want to thank you so much, Jay. It is so amazing for you to take the time. Yeah, and, you know we want to give Jay a chance to talk about some of his TV work or anything else. Give I chance to don't tell have anything.
2: Yeah, I don't have anything announceable at the moment. How fancy! Um, but NDAs. <laughs> but I will look like any of your for that Generation X pitch available on Amazon intro. Yeah, I have a bunch of books from Image that are available. I have a, a crime book called Near Death. I have a, a superhero book called Noble Causes. Another superhero book called Dynamo 5. Uh, so if you like if you like my Generation X work, I think you would in particular like Dynamo 5 and Noble Causes. They're both... Dynamo 5 on comiXology, I believe, and they both have full runs in trades. That's
0: spectacular. The idea of having a full run of your work. Well, how novel. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it.
0: Hey, everybody, Nico here again. Now, I love that Rod and Juan read like all of the Marvel Universe titles. And so when they said that they read Guardians and they were caught up, it just made sense to have them help us kick off our coverage of The Last Annihilation. So here they are with Guardians 13 through 16, giving me all sorts of amazing reasons to pick this title up like doom on the team. We hope you guys enjoy.
4: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next segment of X's for Podcasts. So today you are with Rod from at Rod Commodale on Twitter and Instagram, and with me is my gorgeous fiance.
5: Hi, I'm Chongo. You can find me on all my social medias as ATX. And today we are talking about issue three, no, 13, I got all 13, 13. <laughs> 14,
4: 15, and 16 of Guardians of the Galaxy
5: by Al Ewing as writer, Juan Ferraghi as artist, Federico bled on colors and vc's cory pettit as letterer
4: now al ewing has been writing this story (laughs) since the first issue obviously but a new arc came about on issue 13 like they're officially like all guardians of the galaxy which is
5: wiccan hulkling nova um it's not Oh, it's clerk Clerk. Super Scroll, Super Scroll <laughs> for everyone. Pylovell, Pylovell, Moon Dragon. We don't have the figures because they aren't made. And, mm-hmm. and it's also Gamora, Groot, Rocket. We have Rocket, and then Star Lord, Doom.
4: Doom. Now, Doom gets introduced and joins the Guardians, technically issue 14.
5: You get, yeah, because he gets introduced in issue 13, and you're like, holy shit. Yeah. Well, we're kind of jumping the gun. First, the gun. okay, so this is basically like a space unity squad. Mm-hmm. They're calling themselves essentially like the Spacers. Yeah. Because after all the cosmic stuff that's been going on between, you know, Null and War of the Realms and everything like that, they're like, oh, well, there's no one protecting space. Yeah so why don't we create this like new space force because the nova corp isn't around no. to guard space anymore so they got together and created this whole alliance of uh, heroes including the king and like what would you call he, they're called he's, they're both called kings. kings they're both the kings. called kings i yeah. believe
4: the term yes, i believe the term they use <laughs> is like King cohorts, for oh him? the cohort, yeah, yeah. like yeah. he's like the advisor of the king. He's like the
5: royal, royal yeah. magician or something. Yeah, a mage.
4: It's it's weird because you know they're not used to, I guess, same sex couples. and yeah. like, I mean, I mean, they're used to everything. Not in space, but saying,
5: like, like yeah. I feel like it's it's a weird way because like I guess it's it's a new concept in comics. Yeah, so it's like two kings. What do you say? Yeah, um, but yeah, they're part of it, which. Which is awesome because um, with that, you have the joint Cree Scroll alliance on their side. So that just adds another element to the story. Um With Ali taking it over, or Aliyuin doing this whole arc, it's basically Aliyuin controlling space yeah. right now. So he's basically the main guy writing all the books in Half-Cosmic yeah, stuff. Because
4: he's also writing Sword, mm-hmm. which is now tying in uh, to Guardians because of Last <laughs> Annihilation,
5: which started on, on issue 16 of Guardians, which is what we're about today. Technically, issue thirteen. Because yeah. uh, in issue thirteen, what we see is Clerk looking at this big old Hollow Deck, and it has all of these world world events happening, all these cosmic alerts going off, and they're branching off different kinds of teams to go to these different areas. So the first team goes off to uh, go against the Progenators. Oh yeah, the whole like they go to each other,
4: they go to planets, and basically like conquer them over to get like research and development and they don't come out that much they come out when something new happens and someone alerted them that the Skull alliance happened and as you know the creeskull alliance has never happened before and this was something new, and they were like, Well, we have to discover this. And what were they called? The progenators.
5: The progenators. That were introduced by, um, I think, Al Ewing and then humans. Yeah,
4: honestly. And, and I'll, I mean, Al Ewing is. Loves almost, to pick up those strengths. Loves to pick up his own strengths. <laughs> but, I mean, that's all. I mean, he's doing great in the cosmos. He's made me really enjoy it. And this is basically gays in space. Yeah. So, so many
5: queers in this team. Like, you have PhiloVell Moon Dragon. You have now Star-Lord being established as a bisexual hero. Because in the last run, he had disappeared and lived all these lives. Like, a long life. And this alternate reality. I don't even know if it was an alternate reality. He was It was, like an, just, it was another reality. It was not alternate. But yeah. it was, like, another right. space and time. Yeah. And yeah. in that, he had... a. a male lover and a female lover and he also had a child so he's coming back to this reality at the end of the last run and he's still trying to adjust to all these things so in his mind he's kind of like a man out of time and place but he's even more powerful he and i think ali wing did this to kind of like clean slate and be like this isn't your guardians of the galaxy yeah. mcu star Lord. it's not this star Lord. no he's like i'm gonna give you yeah. the real star yeah and he's actually a
4: star lord like, because he can control solar, you know, energies and everything, because he got that from the Olympians in space. That was a really cool, like, art. Mm-hmm. It was kind of fast,
5: because I feel he's, like he had to get through that to get to Last Annihilation. He's essentially a sun god. Yeah. And he's got, like, a, a, a gun that's, like, super freaking powerful. Yeah, which, I in the first you. issue, which was badass, because um, Groot was trying to find one of the progenators, and uh, Star-Lord shoots him with this, like, solar ray, and Groot grows into this huge mecha form of him and it's just, like, destroying progenitors left and right. Just, like, spearing them with, like, his branches. Which is really cool because that's something new that we haven't seen Rudu. No, we haven't. And the fact that they're, like, kind of using each other to, like, defeat...
4: Like, yeah, they actually have,
5: like, game plans. Like, mm-hmm. like they team up and they have, like, attacks that they do together. This is more of, like, it, this is an actual team. It's got, like, a team feel to it. Yeah,
4: it's not like the past Guardians, where right? They're kind of just, like, over the place, always yeah. arguing. There's, like, no arguing in this book not really yeah unless they're like well maybe we should do this plan instead of this plan like more ethically like more i guess more about ethics than anything yeah but they're all cohesive like you said they're doing different planning mm-hmm. and trying to like actually being i guess for lack of a better term the avengers of space and really mm-hmm. working together i feel like they're doing better than the avengers
5: on earth honestly oh, well like, <laughs> let's not touch the avengers let's not go there. Alright, so then you have the other team that is on off-world. Oh, gosh. I'm trying to figure out. Sorry, guys. I'm trying to remember the name of these planets. Are so. Cosmic Space is big. It's big. It's like a lot of crazy-ass worlds. Right, they're at the Rim World. Mm-hmm. So, they're in the Rim World, which is with, oh, I forgot, Hercules and Nova. Hercules and Nova are on the We, didn't, we got distracted. We didn't yeah. finish the,
4: the queer representation. Hercules and Nova are now together. They're both bisexual. Yeah. And then there's also, obviously, Wiccan and Hulkling.
5: Kings of Space, and
4: I believe that's it. No, uh,
5: Drax and Rocket Group. No, I'm the Queer Oh, the Queer yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, So we have the team of um, Favel Nova, Quasar, but Quasar with a twist because now he's got the mega bands that are, he's able to like bang, and when he bangs, he switches spots. He switches spots with the other Quasar. that came back during Guardians of the Galaxy Annual. But she's really cool, and I actually like her better than the male Quasar because I feel like she's more of a team player and is funnier. Av- <laughs>
4: Avril Kincaid. Avril Kincaid. Yeah.
5: And the thing is, like, they're both inhabiting the same body, so whenever they clang their bands together, it, they switch forms, and one of them goes into negative space, uh-huh. and the other comes at, into form. And they—it's really cool because they serve a dual purpose. Um, Quasar is the more heroic one, and Avril Kincaid is more of the strategist. She's more of the tech, like, she is a former um, member of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. So she's very tactical. Yeah. So, where one is like the bruiser, the other is the thinker, the strategist. Yeah. So, they're the duality of one character in
4: one. And honestly, I really love that concept, and I was really excited when I saw it. I hope, I know Al Ewing is really good on touching every point of his sword that he makes. So, I know we're probably gonna get this, but I do wanna say, I hope we get it that it gets explained how they're sharing a body yeah. and like the dynamic of that because that hasn't been explained yet. And I'm sure he's waiting to do that yeah. because he's, he just threw it at us. So, I'm sure that's going to get explained later. But I'm really excited. It's probably going to be a whole issue that.
5: Oh, yeah. And then, with them being all separated, the team was at RimWorld. And when they're at RimWorld, they discover a team of, uh, like, a group of scrolls and all of these, like, forgotten allegiance of space people. And they're all doing, like, a ceremony. But they also see, like, a bunch of dead corpses, like, just put on spikes everywhere. Like, they're doing sacrifices. And... Then they're, like, talking about the second coming, they're praising the the fire, and they're basically summoning something. We don't know what they're summoning at the end of the first, uh, or 13, issue 13. Yeah, and then I really, at the end of that, we get back to Wickling, Hulkling, and
4: crew, which is, like, Mora, Rocket, Groot, Star-Lord, and... Nova, Nova, and then they're like they defeated the robot researcher alien yeah, people. The progeners, and, the progeners. and those are cool. It was a good little thing. I'm glad they weren't like a big arc, but that was cool to see. And then we get Doom coming in, Electro, you know, magically affying everybody, like taking them all down with like one hit, and then being like, "I'm Doom, and I don't need all these fancy king titles or Star Lord. The only title I do, and I still like beat you up, is Doctor." And I was like, "That's really nice.
5: yeah." And then he takes. Excelsior from Hulkling yeah. and he's like raising Excelsior and you're like oh this shit's about to end. Yeah.
4: And like they do they like they are having super trouble against him like how could you not? I mean Doom literally created Secret World. Like, yeah.
5: And the thing is too like people always forget Doom is not only science, he's also magic his mom was a freaking ma- a witch. Yeah. So he is able to not only attack, you know, Hulkling and most of the team but he's also able to take over uh, uh Billy. Mm-hmm. So he basically incapacitates Billy first off because he knows always take out the Magician. Yeah, and Moondragon. And Moondragon. Because he's had enough with Telepaths especially facing the mutants, Mm -hmm.
4: that he has the technology and magic to, like, stop their bloody, like,
5: close their brain. Yeah. He shut her down. So shut down the telepath, shut down the magician, and then just beat the crap out of everybody else. But then they get him on a little bit on the ropes, and then he does his special changing bodies thing, and changes bodies with Hulkling. Yeah, he changed bodies with Hulkling, so they thought they had defeated Doom, but in actuality it was body swap. He he, uh, transported his essence into him, and they were trapped yeah. the other one. So when they thought they had defeated Doom, it was actually Hulkling. Yeah. And that was a whole other shenanigans, but I feel like the funniest part, once
4: they got actually through that, when they defeated Doom, was putting Doom in fucking Rocket's body, which is yeah. the best
5: way to defeat him. It was freaking hilarious. <laughs> because he's like, even in this little farm,
4: I'm can i still Doom. And I'm like, I guess. You're still smart. If, but, like, and,
5: and, but if you have Rocket's freaking brain, you can build anything that dude is like a weapons expert. True.
4: I don't know, like, would he, they switched bodies Bodies. He got when he switched bodies to
5: Hulkling obviously that's power he I don't think he memory. I don't think he got all his memories and everything. Yeah, so. Which by the way, I really love that Falavela, or was it? I don't know if it was Fala or Starlord, I can't remember. But that they were like, oh, so you took over Hokling's body and all you're doing is using his stretching power. Like, huh? Are you jealous? Like, are you jealous of one of your biggest rivals and his ability to stretch? I was like, oh, Ah,
4: totally forgot
5: about that. Yeah, because all he was doing was stretching everywhere. Yeah, I think that was actually I think that was Star and
4: Rocket Guardians have always been catty bitches. <laughs> Always. Like, I mean, Rocket, Gamora, Star-Lord, even Groot. He just Groot. says, I am Groot, and they kind of translate it, but he still is like, probably the caddies of them all if you can't understand me. So I love that about That's one of the things I really love about the Guardians, and I'm glad they did that. Mm-hmm. This, mm-hmm. Because that's, I mean, I don't know about, like, when the Guardians first started, if they were like that, but, but since I've been reading know, Guardians, the over there yeah, the <laughs> be, but it's on the our big list of books that we need to read. But I do love that the Guardians have that dynamic, yeah. that they're just like, and there's the so family, many... but they're still yeah. yeah,
5: and there's so many different dynamics in this team that you know it's it and it's not just a different dynamics. It's a bunch of broken people that are in this team because Nova is still struggling with losing the Nova Corps, yeah. being the only surviving member. Um, if we forget Sam Nova Corps, and then um, but is he though? Like he is, but like not officially. He's a black centurion or yeah. black Nova. Corps.
4: Yeah, like, he's um, not officially, like, they don't technically, they didn't well, really
5: claim him. Well, because there is no Novocore. I mean, sure. So, but anyways, <laughs> uh, and then you have um, Moondragon, who has two different personalities trapped in one body right now, and then you have the um, another one with Quasar. I just realized there's two members that have two different people living inside one body. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, all
4: of, all of them, all of the, I love that um, you bring that up, because I just thought of it, like, this Guardians is talking about a lot of mental health issues. Issues. Oh yeah. Like I love that um uh, Al Ewing has Nova going, you know, to therapy. Mm-hmm. Not in these issues, the issues before. Yeah. Um but yeah, but he like we had like a whole issue of him going to therapy, which is amazing. Like yeah. this like strong, like um capable of so many things, character that's like done whole events basically by himself. He and was in the like, whole
5: first Nile issue. Um, about,
4: whole first annihilation, and then you're seeing him in this vulnerable spot being able to be like admit that he needs help and go to therapy like that's huge for you
5: to see yeah and it's really cool because I feel like Ali Wing brought some of the things that work best in X-Men stories and brought them to these cosmic stories where it's like drama You people want the drama of all these things and there's a lot of drama going on but the thing is with these first issues is like you get little pieces of the drama amongst all these big things Happening because there's this big looming threat, which Doom tells them you're not ready. There's a big threat coming.
4: That's why Doom actually came. We forgot to mention that. That's why Doom actually came to like in in his own in his own like helpful way. He's like, well, I'm gonna like take you all down to tell you that you're not ready
5: instead of just coming to help (laughs) because you guys aren't prepared like this the excelsior sword would be better in my possession because I would know how to wield it against an uncomfortable threat. and then the thing is we do not know what this threat is yet Mm. what they were saying at the end of issue 13 was the Forgotten Flame the Brotherhood of the Forgotten Flame so they're like okay so the Forgotten Flame who's a Forgotten Flame little did we find out at the end of uh, issue 14 that it's actually going to be ego but ego is not necessarily ego right now. He's like cocooned in this shell. Yeah. And they're like, what the hell's happening? Yeah. Well, actually, what's with what the get them cocooned
4: in the shell is you know, all the scrolls and other aliens that were there, like praising and doing this ritual, they sacrifice themselves. Mm-hmm. They give their souls and do a blood sacrifice of all themselves, and they all die. And it does this magical form of like kind of like a symbiotic thing mm-hmm. of like does the whole planet like in King and Black, but they're not um, and then yeah, like you said, it's a cocoon and you know. You're like that's the end of like I think you said issue fourteen. Yeah. You're like what the hell is happening? Like where what's ego doing? I thought Eagle was actually dead. I thought he was dead too. But I mean, technically he's dead <laughs> <laughs> because the egg does crack. It yeah. hatches. And who comes? It is the dreaded Dormammu. Mamo. And now he's a whole freaking
5: planet. planet.
4: And he's starting, which is starting with technically issue 16. But it's technically starting with issue 13 as well. The last annihilation. Which, yeah. I wonder if this will actually be the last.
5: <laughs> Marvel likes saying that this is the last of something.
4: But I I, I like this concept of, of like a different annihilation coming with Dormammu. Because I feel like we're getting a lot more magic in space. Mm-hmm. Which is cool. Because Wiccan, Doom, mm-hmm. you know, and now we have Dormammu in space. And, you know, obviously, obviously all the Asgardians have always been in space, too, and they're magical. Yeah. So I feel like we're getting a lot more of that. And I feel like mixing Cosmic with Magic is really cool. Yeah. So having to defeat Dormammu when I mean, he's a planet size and getting on the Mindless Ones,
5: yeah. it's really he's, awesome. He made, like, Mindless Ones that are all different shapes and sizes. Like, they can be, like, gargantuan ones, or they can be, like, little, regular size ones. The thing is, the Mindless Ones are really freaking hard. To defeat because their whole purpose is to serve and destroy. Yeah. Which okay, little random thing though. Wouldn't it also affect the mindless ones that are on Earth? Because Doctor Strange Academy has a bunch of mindless ones. Like they're he, like the yeah. staff. Like he this. does have mindless ones, but I feel like he has a
4: certain spell on them that you know, or maybe because Dormammu didn't make them. Dormammu like didn't make them. The they also, could. yeah. I mean, like, yeah. I don't think Dormammu, like, technically made them. Doctor Strange might manipulate them yeah. to like be more good. Yeah. So or well behaved, I guess. Right. So that seems like something Doctor Strange would do manipulate people. God, who would have thought Doctor Strange? Better? Never. Never. <laughs> but even before I think right before this, or right when it's happening, we get an even better moment, or more dramatic moment, not really better moment. Oh. Of
5: Magneto and Nova, you know, <laughs> fighting each other. Well, let's first discuss the fact that Nova and Star-Lord are the, basically the delegates serving for the Guardians of the Galaxy that get invited to the Hellfire Gala. And Nova is still dealing with the fact that they let Doom be part of the team to help them deal with the oncoming Annihilation Wave. And now he has to go to Earth, and he doesn't really know. They don't really know what's happening on Earth. All that they do is get little bits of pieces of information from passing buyers, I guess. So they're like, okay, well, let's go see what the mutants are doing. And when they get to the sword, actually, what, what's the name of the sword ship I get? Is it just called? I think it's just called Sword. sword. Yeah. Okay. Called sword. When they get there, um, they are greeted by Abigail Brand and Magneto. So, Nova, being Nova, not being on Earth for such a long-ass time, still knows Magneto as a bad guy. Well, it's not even just that. I feel like he knows Magneto probably isn't
4: a bad guy at that moment. But he has this, like, mental... Because he's going through a lot of mental things right now. He just needs he needs more help. Because it's, like... And Star-Lord, like, his best friend, he doesn't even really know him anymore. Because Star-Lord's completely changed. He's had a kid that none of us seen. We didn't even see kid in, a, in the flashbacks that we saw of his yeah. past, past life. But basically lost his best friend. Still there, but kind of lost him. Lost Nova Corps. He's just at a loss. He's trying to find himself in the Guardians. But he's, like, they're working with Doom, you know? And what other villain are they working with,
5: He's just not used to working with the Kree Scroll alliance. Oh he and doesn't then, trust the scroll. Yeah,
4: the super scroll and doom and then he's like, Now we have to work with Magneto. He's like, I'm tired of villains. Yeah. You know, our past villains or whatever. Yeah. Being in like with the heroes. Yeah. So he freaks out and is like disrespect like punches Magneto
5: we also had history with Magneto where Magneto basically killed these two like aliens that they thought were just something like that so uh that was back from an early Captain America issue that Nova was mentioned and I'm like damn boy you got a broken brain but you remember this that's the ones you chose I know and I'm like he didn't even mean to kill them I don't
4: think like that was an accident I believe I think so but like either way he still killed him but like I'm like that was so long ago. And Nova's uh, done so much since. But Nova, while. being the hothead that he is, went in fits the blazing. Yeah. Literally. Now, I do got to compliment the artist a lot on that. I mean, on the whole book itself, oh, the yeah. artist is spectacular. The, you know, the artist and the colorist, fantastic work together. And Just, an anchor. And the anchor. But like, guess what I mean with the colorist,
5: yeah. right? Yeah. No, colors and anchors are different. That's true, right? My- <laughs>
4: but I did love the fight between Nova and Magneto because I was already going to assume like Magneto's got
5: this. But no, no. Nova actually pulled off. Well, he literally like said, him. "I can manipulate magnetic waves." Yeah, and he goes, "Oh, sweetheart, you're gonna fight me with with magnets? Let's have a magnet off." Uh, and then basically did. throw a. Freaking ship at Nova, and Nova just goes, shoop, cuts it in half. Yeah. It was really cool to see. Yeah. <laughs> but my favorite is Abigail Brandby, the boss bitch that she is, says, shut this down. She now. brings all like the sword squad and is like, yo, I will throw you both off my ship
4: right now. Yo, this is like child's play. I need to stop this. This is not
5: how we do yeah. this. In the meantime, Starlo is just on the side, like, ugh. Starlo's
4: like, you no, know, because like even Abigail Brand's like, are you going to do something? And Starlo's like, not my fight. Uh,
5: I'm tired
4: of doing things, basically. He's like, he's like, you can't
5: talk to Nova when he's already going
4: off. Yeah. So. And Starlet's all enlightened and everything. So he's like, well, Nova's like, trying to figure things out, and he did this to himself, yeah. so let's just let him do it.
5: I really like that interaction. I thought it was really on point like how all the characters did that. We won't touch upon it too much because I know later on in the podcast they're going to talk about the sword issue Mm -hmm. but they find out some pivotal information that affects all of cosmic space because during the the kree Scroll alliance they basically shut down all of the space economy because the kree Scroll war was going on for so long that it basically fueled the whole space economy. So now that they're a uh union united together, where's the fucking money going? There's no infrastructure anymore for finances. And that's how the gamekeeper was able to like take control of a lot of space stuff because there's no like money coming in. Yeah. So they introduce this new material that they'll talk about in the sword podcast. That's the great thing about we are uh basically a podcast all yeah. oh, Marvel comics,
4: but more mutants. Um and that's why it's so great that the mutants are even taking more charge in the cosmic because it also is Effect guard Guardians because it affects Hulkling and Wiccan because
5: they need to boost their economy yeah. and everything
4: and is gonna help that with that new metal yeah
5: so. which is awesome because you met him. got introduced first of all like first issue of sword yeah. and then um, now storm is like the delegate that's like introducing it to all these people yeah. like and that we are here, about more we're here to <laughs> save the economy essentially so now the mutants have set themselves up as not only a world power but a cosmic power so that's gonna change up the game in space and that's basically what nova and star lord are trying to figure out like what do you think about this like like they don't want to count their chickens before they hatch because nova said it best he goes i'm always afraid of all the positive things that are going to change every time we think that something's going to change the other shoe falls and things fall from the ground up like nothing ends up staying good forever down yeah. and
4: then going back to even what's the pivotal, you know
5: dooming thing that's
4: coming which is last annihilation now like all the, the basically three different teams are going to try to like help the different yeah. planets that are getting attacked by dormammu and i
5: don't remember does it say why they're attacking which
4: planets are? Or- they're
5: attacking every part that got hurt by the knoll by by knoll? they were hurting the weakened planets and they were hurting the planets to um divert hulkling and wicked because mm-hmm. they knew that they had to separate them. Yeah. So, one's uh, attacking the scroll planet, Scrollos, and then the other one is attacking the Kree planet. So, they knew that they, they had this king who's both and they had to pretty much be like, oh, which side are you fighting for more? Which side are you going to go protect more? And Hulkling, knowing this, had to be like, well, I can't favor one planet over the other. Yeah. So then, Wiccan's like, well, I'll go and defend one planet while you're fighting the other one. So now, they're split which also these two can never be together. No, I mean
4: we do get a lot of good
5: moments and yeah, these last two but issues also, but also think about it during Empire they were even separated. They were too. separated there. Yeah so it's like, oh, I'm hoping like
4: after Last Annihilation, because essentially Last Annihilation, Dormammu sees this, he's obviously trying to grow his power with the cosmic power. Because I feel like a lot of people now, a lot of like the Marvel characters, especially the villains, see the power in space. Like Dormammu's done what he can on Earth yeah like he's not like much. not much but he's like space so and what's gonna threaten him taking over more planets to get more powerful the kree school alliance yeah. because it is a powerful army and then guardians so what do you do you separate the kings because he can't favor a scroll or a kree because it's an alliance he has to show that he's nonpartisan yeah. and do both so they do separate and these are a powerful duo i mean he wiccan is destined yeah. to become diverge yeah and he's destined yeah. to become even a Source of Supreme at one point, maybe. And then one reality. One reality. We don't know if it's this reality. It changes all the time. time. It's Marvel. Comics, but they're both powerful. Yeah. So if he separates them, then that scroll line, one of them might die. They both might die, yeah. and then hopefully not. Like not. Right. They better not die, Al Ewing. Yeah. First of all, and second of all, like that's what that's what it will be. So I'm excited to see how that will come apart more, yeah. and I'm excited to see like what because we haven't seen that much happen
5: yeah. with Wiccan with his magic. Living. I I really want Al Ewing to like set him up as. The magician, like the one that's supposed to be turning into the emerge or the sorcerer supreme, I want to see that potential out of him because yeah. it gets kind of like goofball y when he's always has to repeat everything. Where he's like, Take me home, take me home, take me home, take me home. Yeah, I'm like, What is that? Beetlejuice, 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 yeah. like, Come on, And like, I kind of do like his magic being different
4: than others, yeah, because no one else's magic is really like that. But he should be getting a little bit better at this point, and I feel like this event could push him to that. That level not that he isn't good, but just push him further, yeah. Especially because I mean, Doctor Strange is about to die, yeah. So, in the, in the death of Doctor Strange by uh Jed McCain, I don't know who that was. But we'll talk about that when it comes out. It's not out, yet. Um, but hopefully they get Wiccan to even take his place. Of course, Wiccan has so many other responsibilities. So I don't know how that would actually work. Yeah. But it would still be really cool to see the gays kind of like
5: take over all. The well, characters. I just want to see. <laughs> I just want to see the potential in Wiccan show up to where he would be a front runner to take over social supreme. As of right now, I don't think he can. No, I mean it's, he still needs to learn more. Yeah, and Let's grow up a little it, bit more. I feel like with the reintroduction of. Uh, Kushala, that they're setting her up to be the next sorcerer. But That'd be cool. it'd be cool to see him be an actual front runner. But like his mom, like being alpha yeah. as a Scarlet He's, Witch. Yeah. So. And speaking of which, when they had sent Star-Lord and um, Nova, originally it was supposed to be Oakland and Um, because of the way that Krakoa is using Scarlet Witch as a tender and they don't claim her and she's like basically the villain yeah. of Krakoa. They're not going there. They do not want to deal with comfortable. that. They don't feel comfortable. And it's kind of like a political issue as well. Like, do you want to start being this yeah. new nation? They don't
4: want to fight each other yeah so they don't
5: want to start anything so they don't go there yeah Oakland's like well you won't allow my husband there so why would I go there I don't think they're not allowing Wiccan but Wiccan doesn't feel
4: comfortable because they're not they're demonizing his mom yeah which I mean rightfully so yeah
5: but from their perspective, rightfully yeah, So from their
4: yeah, from the mutants' perspective, is rightfully so. From Lucas' perspective, it's like, and there was factors in it because, yeah. like, even like this motherfucker right here, Doom caused
5: it. Technically, like, what? what
4: Scarlet Witch did, watch the Pretender.
5: Oh yeah, no, yeah. he's he's supposed to be the the yeah. the that everyone forgets about or doesn't want to pay attention to is Doom was the one that was manipulating Scarlet Witch to do all that. Yeah, people don't want him. Exactly I wonder. That. I wonder if I acknowledge it, but I wonder if we'll touch on that at
4: all once this is going off of 16 and everything of the issues we're talking about but once Wiccan finds out that Scarlet Witch is actually dead because he doesn't know yet and he has a feeling he has a feeling he had a feeling he said he felt something happen to someone he loves cares about at the Hellfire Gallop. He doesn't know what happened. Yeah. And I'm like... Mm-hmm. Bitch is about to No, 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 no. I'm excited to see where he's going to find out. I don't know if he's going to find out in Guardians or Sword. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like Sword would probably be better since it is Mutant. Sword
5: would probably be better.
4: But I'm excited to see that. Yeah. But I'm like, if we all probably know that this is probably a way to bring Scarlet Witch back as a mutant. Yeah. And if she is brought back as a mutant and all that happens, I wonder if we're ever going to, since Doom is such in close proximity with being, you know, at S.W.O.R.D. a little bit and with the Guardians, I wonder if they're going to have like a little bit of like a, since they like bringing up the past things like what Nova did with Magneto, I wonder if we're going to bring up the past things
5: that what Doom did with
4: Scarlet Witch at all. Yeah. Like, I wonder if we're going to touch on that at all because that I would be
5: good. I feel like that has to be brought up. If if they're trying to make that red con, stick. Mm-hmm. And I know Halloween loves picking up old plot points yeah. and exploring those. I'm hoping that that's one that does get explored because how is it fair that Doom gets to sit down, have a dinner with Storm, who's basically like the president or like Queen Empress of Mars now. or soul yes. Of Soul, And be able to like do all this stuff without facing any repercussion of him probably being the mastermind behind No More mutes Staff. Yeah. And
4: it is harder to do that to Doom because he does have all that power. Yeah, and it's not even just power; it's more like political power. Yeah, because he has that country thing, yeah. and it's like a whole thing.
5: He's got a country; they have a planet. Now,
4: yeah, like. and I'm like, that's why they don't really know. That's why they don't really pay to him as much. Yeah, but it is like he likes to tote that around. He likes to tote his country around so yeah. much. It doesn't really. I feel like he doesn't really even he doesn't care about his people. He doesn't it's, care. About except me. unless they're groveling to his feet.
5: So one the thing he cares about. <laughs> the thing, too, is though, it's really interesting right now because Doom is being placed in such a unique position at Marvel with Marvel Stories, where his presence, I feel, is felt everywhere. Like in the mutant stuff and the cosmic stuff and like the grounded stuff, like with the Fantastic Four and everything. Like he's a very big presence right now. Yeah. So I feel like there's something there with that. Yeah, I
4: feel like something's definitely going to come out of like. Last Annihilation with Doom, because like you said in issue 13, he technically brought, like, introduced it coming. He was the first person to introduce it coming, technically. And I feel like it's probably going to be something with Dormammu, because how are they going to get rid of Dormammu? Are they going to kill him? Is Dormammu finally going to die? Can Dormammu actually die? I don't know. And what will happen with son? And what will happen? Oh, yeah. And Dormammu has a son on Strange Academy. Will that go into Strange Academy at all? Will it affect it? Will he feel that his dad is dying? Does, Does he dead? care? Does he care? Um, and like, will Doom somehow you know take advantage of this and absorb that energy like he loves to do? He loves to take other people's energy and use it for something else. Look like at Secret Wars. Um, I'm just... There's so many possibilities possibilities. possibilities you could do with this because it's so many big moving parts in this story so many powerful beings on good and evil and neutral like and you don't have a lot of like demon magical beings in space so this is basically all brand new and no one really knows how to deal with the, you know the mindless ones, and I mean they're killing them off, but like they keep coming because yeah. it's magic. So and it's Dormammu and he has a planet and worshippers,
5: so he has basically omnipotent power so far. So they're fighting the mindless ones. They have to bring back Captain Glory too, by the way, being who was Glory, in yeah. prison and pre-prison in the Empire because he betrayed Hulkling. Yeah, during
4: Empire he betrayed yeah. Hulkling. And then we get more into that when we go into Sword. But that is really cool that yeah. they. Like, kind of like this Captain America type figure in space, in a sense. A
5: U.S. agent. I mean, well, yeah.
4: Well, you know, yeah, he's definitely more U.S. agent. But I mean, like, that's what he is in space. Like, Captain Captain Glory. Glory.
5: Who was introduced, actually, by Al Ewing. Nice. And um, the Varantish No Surrender.
4: Look, see?
5: Al Ewing's just pulling all his little toys and bringing them back. I love
4: that. I love when Rogers do. It's amazing, and one thing we didn't touch on is another relationship, which kind of came out of nowhere. I don't know if they've had a lot of history together. Like they've had a lot of history, but I don't know if they've actually had love history. Which is Gamora and Nova. Okay, no, Yeah, yeah. yeah. They've had like love, loving history. Okay, yeah. so, romantic. Okay, yeah. so it's kind of like a, 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 like a, like a three thing. Yeah, because Star Lord, Gamora yeah. were a thing too. Yeah,
5: okay. they're, they're doing that whole love triangle okay. situation. But like
4: Gamora, Star Lord are separating. Yeah, from no. each other
5: because. Because Gamora realizes that when star lord came back that that's not her star lord no and he even told her he's like i'm not your star lord like and they had this thing
4: they were really close they're probably even gonna get like married or whatever space
5: yeah because um, it's not traditional well they at, at the beginning of all's run they were leaving happily together yeah. they were grounded yeah they weren't heroes anymore yeah no the original guardians weren't doing that
4: anymore they were retired and then you know all the other stuff happened and i suggest you go read it we're not going to explain all of that yeah But definitely go read it. It's really fun. But, yeah, I just, I kind of like it, though, with Nova and Gamora coming together.
5: I'm like, why not? I'm like, it's already canon that Star-Lord's by. Just date both of them. Just just get together.
4: I'm okay with Nova and Star-Lord's
5: being, like, like buddy bros, though.
4: Like I'm like I don't need yeah. them to date.
5: Nah, like I don't I don't I and, and I would and I would love to see a positive male relationship, yeah. friendship kind of thing. Yeah. And right now, because uh, Star Lord is dealing with his stuff and Nova is dealing with his stuff, and they're kind of both uh, like in this weird place uh, mm-hmm. mentally that they're both like kind of working things out mm-hmm. together as friends. Yeah. And I do like that, but I'm hoping that the Gamora dynamic doesn't cause. I don't think it will, though, because Star-Lord's, like, over that. I'm hoping we'll see. He's thinking of, like, the kid he left behind. Yeah, he's he thinking about his son. Like <laughs> He's thinking about his son that's out there, and that's what actually got Gamora. She's like, son, what the hell? Yeah. Like, this is the first time I'm hearing about it. He's like, well, I wasn't here, so of course you don't. That's definitely a thread that's probably going to come back, maybe not in this run,
4: yeah. but at some point where... So it's, it's live. Yeah. Like, maybe not even you Ewing, I don't know, but maybe. But I feel like since time does move faster in that reality, that was in his son might come back and try to get him I feel like that's what happens a lot mm-hmm. where you leave your child and they feel resentful for you yeah. but then they try to come and kill you <laughs> and, like that's just an old tale that always happens and I feel like that would suck for Star-Lord because he's had all this in life mm-hmm. and, and they're all you know trying not to be in all this drama and not finally yeah. being a family but then it would make for a good story yeah, so, yeah. the only thing that really happens else is like the, the I mean the, the mindless ones are attacking him yeah.
5: And, yeah, and the fact that they're just opening portals. Yeah, that like they're just opening portals. I the mindless ones. Yeah, like the portals that Doctor Strange yeah. does. But like, basically, one of them destroys Captain Glory. As far as we know, yeah, they not in this take one. Take down so Captain, Captain Glory sword, <laughs> but yeah, but it so, um, the spoilers for that <laughs> still of like advice, read Sword along with Guardians. Oh yeah, because they're kind of intertwined right now. They're both written by Aliwuin. Yeah, and if you're We're not already right, reading anything Aliwuin does, then what the hell are you doing? Reading right? Allings? Why are you watching this? Allie Why are you watching this, this video? Aliwuin's like the
3: best.
5: <laughs> but like, no, if you are, um,
4: if you're already reading Guardians. And obviously if you're in Guardians, you're interested in the last Annihilation event, then you have to resort sword with it. Yeah. And it's not even that big of an event. And I think it's just it's, contained it's in Guardians. It's not that big
5: of an event. It's, there, yeah.
4: there is going to be like a one shot of Wiccan and Hulkling. There's going to be a one shot of Black like Panther. One shot of Cable. One shot of Cable. And then I think the rest is in Guardians and Sword. <laughs> so it's not like the hugest event, but yeah. it is supposed to be a continuation of the other Annihilations that I've had. Yeah. So.
5: It's basically anything that has to deal with space. Mm-hmm. And the reason that the Black Panther stuff is tied in because of Tony Tanahassi T- T- Coates' like Black Panther story in space that he had that. So I think that's yeah. And, that, and, really and it's still
4: going on, see. like the yeah. Wakanda and intrad- intradilac- Oh, words are hard. Intergalactic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, intergalactic, you know, realm that has happened. It's still happening, which I'm very grateful for. I love that arc And then yeah, and I love that we get like a one shot of Wicking Hulkling Written
5: by Antonio Oliveri and Ali are both working on that mm-hmm. book together. Yeah, which both queer writers. Which yeah. is amazing. Amazing. Yeah, Al is bisexual. Just yeah. came out, of cam- uh, Ca- Canada Lee came out as bisexual. I don't. <laughs> he's a person, not a I know. Oh, like, <laughs> it's canon
4: now. <laughs> no, but like, congratulations to him for feeling comfortable for doing that. Yes. And I love that Marvel is employing more queer and people of color because right? yeah. uh, Antonio is a person of color, so and a queer person. So it's like, that, that that's amazing. It's
5: crazy to think that like, oh wow, now now that like we know that Al Ewing is comfortable enough came out as bi, there's a queer person. Writing queer characters. Yeah. Oh my God, imagine that. Yeah. And now I understand why he's able to write such good stories about disenfranchised characters and like um, characters that are kind of forgotten mm. because he has, I feel like he, he's really good at. Putting a lot of himself in stories. Yeah. Like, I absolutely love his Mighty Avenger run, which was basically all POCs and Hawkeye. <laughs> but it was like a great story. He does a really good job of bringing characters of color into his stories and forgotten characters. Like, he brought back Living Lightning that people forgot about, like queer Mexican. And then he brought back um, Blue Marvel that everyone forgets that Blue yeah. Marvel exists. I need, I mean, Living Lightning and Blue Marvel are two. Especially Blue Marvel. Yeah, Blue Marvel has to be
4: around. Like, where is he? And where's Monica Rambeau?
5: Mar- where's Monica Rambeau? I'm like, two powerhouses. I'm like, Adam Brashear is a freaking <laughs> physicist. He's a brilliant and mind. And he's basically the Superman of Marvel. Exactly. So... I would love it if you brought... Why did he bring him into Guardians of the Galaxy?
4: I think it was just too much. He already had yeah. Quasar. Yeah. And he's already
5: putting Doom. Yeah. And so I, feel like, I feel like it's too much. Then I also feel like it'd be weird because Blue mm-hmm. Marvel would probably be the leader instead of yeah. And then why would Blue Marvel want to leave Earth? Yeah, so so it's <sighs> it's it's, it's, it's frustrating. Comes. I would
4: love Blue Marvel and Monica yeah. too because they had a relationship, and I would love them to to have that. You know, be shown again then being on a team like let's do the ultimates again like how about you write the ultimates again right have, he's already doing all the space let him do that again too
5: which is funny too because the last time we saw Blue Marvel he was working with Doom he was working with Doom so yeah
4: and Doom did his last um gracious thing that's what he said mm-hmm. or last humanitarian thing that he was mm-hmm. going to do for anyone and like save Blue Marvel and like dropped him off in a notion because uh, Doom was like doing some crazy shit and, 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 the, Doom and the Doom Solo Doom, yeah Doom Solo was written by Christopher Cantwell there really was cool, also right? another queer writer yeah this is amazing um was really well um solo series definitely suggest you read it if yeah, you especially know more about doom
5: yeah if you want to know my, my doom and then also Kang, Kang's in there a, a mm-hmm. little bit and Kang and doom have a good moment kind of talk a little bit about their yeah. their history if you want to know why doom is what he is like right
4: now because he used to be a little bit good like neutral yeah. if you want to yeah. know why he's more like egotistical
5: and kind of evil
4: again read that solo series and that's why not God Doom. Not that God
5: Doom. Badass Doom. No, <laughs> he. This is where he thought he was good and doing the right thing, but he yeah. wasn't. Now he's back to this one. <laughs> the green. Yeah, green the is evil. Yeah, which mm-hmm. I'm also excited to see what Dan Slott's gonna do. That. That's a whole other. That's thing. a whole other thing.
4: Yeah. But Al Ewing and Dan Slott work together. They did Empire. Yeah, they so did Empire sure together. They're working
5: together. Yeah, yeah. So that makes because sense. they even mentioned the, the Fantastic Four stuff in the X Men issues when Storm and Doom are having dinner together. Yeah. So I love. It because Al Ewing does communicate with other writers, so everything that he puts in seems canon. Like with uh, Moon Dragon being an Iron Man, uh, he mentions that. Yeah, he's like oh, Moon Dragon is not here, which is also Christopher some stuff Cantwell. Han-Man. Yeah, uh, like Christopher Cantwell as well. W- amazing run if you haven't read that. That's all going through with Corbeck stuff and has uh, Patsy Walker. Yeah, okay. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, this run is really good. It it has a lot working with it. Like um, the all the character dynamics are really good um the writing's really good the pacing's really good um you kind of get thro- thrown into this like oh team story but then the team gets thrown into this whole big event really quick and we're finding out the information as they're finding out the information and I, I really like it's yeah. really cool so baby what would you this is the beginning of
4: last annihilation
5: technically we went a little
4: bit into war two it's the second part um what would you want to see because we have like a few more parts left okay what do you want to see the end result for this like what are you predicting because we're so in the beginning yeah. Yeah. so I feel like there's like so many predictions you could have what would, yeah. you, what would one be like?
5: Out of this, uh, I want to see them establish a the Kree Scroll Alliance as a powerhouse. Mm-hmm. I would really like to see them be successful and have this be the setup of, like, yeah, this is the new regime. This is it. Because as of right now, we really haven't seen the Scroll Kree Alliance do mm-hmm. anything major like they did Empire, but that's that totally how they the, formed. Yeah, that's the start. Yeah, yeah, but now I want to see them be, a, be an actual powerhouse and take down this whole thing. And I want to see Guardians kind of established as the space not space cops i don't want to say that because that's that's what the nova the space guardians yeah i just want to see the space protectors space protectors yeah Yeah. there we go i i would actually i would go
4: off of that i definitely agree and i want to see that but going even deeper into that i would want to see wiccan and hulkling come together stay alive stay fucking alive stay alive and and like really establish them as like kings and a powerhouse couple and like really show to all the space like they defeated Dormammu and not just them but like, ours. Um, but like they helped it and like they did this and like they are forced to be wrecked you know yeah. and I really it would be amazing to see like a gay couple be like the the spearhead of You know, defeating Dormammu and also stopping the last Annihilation act. Mm -hmm. Ending this event and saving the day. Like, that would be completely amazing and I would love it. The only thing is, in true Annihilation form, someone has to die. Someone has to die. Someone's going to have to die. Who would you want to, I guess not really want to
5: die. Who do you think is going to die? I think Moondragon. Dragon, no. Because of that whole two oh. spirits and one. Or one yeah. of the two spirits and one per people has to pass. Mm. Like either Quasar or Moondragon. Something has to happen there. Yeah. Or, um, shoot, I don't really want anybody. Not that I want anyone to die.
4: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, like, we don't really want any. Like, we love all these characters. Yeah, actually I don't. It's not but, one character I don't But lie. if I
5: have to, I'm like, okay, we can. I don't want what? But. That's too the, Establish him as the mute, just like his mama. Oh, uh, okay.
4: Yeah, that would yeah. work because okay, that would that could work because like if they bring back Scarlet Witch and then like oh we can bring back Scarlet Witch, we can bring back Wiccan, then they're about mutants. That would
5: make the mutant empire. Yeah, and also will create an alliance between the Cree and the Squirrels. Yeah, with Krakoa with and uh, Era, like Aracoa. Aracoa. and also yeah. <laughs> read freaking Sword because huge stuff happens in Sword. With Abigail Brand coming back to the Empire thing. Yeah. Because the Empire Aftermath had this. Big, like, future scene of like, this is gonna come back to bite you in the ass, whole mm-hmm. with this whole not trusting. Um, what were they called? Uh, Alpha Flight, yeah. And it ended up happening coming to come into fruition, it did, and it ended up freaking image exactly just like that one. And I loved it because it is machinations and things are in the works, and there's like sneakiness happening there. Because when we were reading this whole thing, we we're like, why have they even showed up? Yeah, why haven't they thrown themselves into it? But also, I like it because also, we don't want the avengers that are I don't want I don't the want, avengers in this I don't, this don't want the avengers annihilate. that are currently being written in anything in this
4: I don't want the avengers in the in the Guardians book cuz this is a Guardian book and yeah. I like the avengers but I don't want them I want to focus on there's too many there's so many characters already yeah I want to focus on these characters yeah
5: um that these characters shine
4: yeah but who I think is probably going to uh, unfortunately like you said annihilation someone has to die mm-hmm. every annihilation event someone dies I don't wait. Like, did someone die in the, the like four part one that happened? The Matt uh, Rosenberg. Yeah, with the with the Fantastic Four, not Rosenberg. Yeah, Rosenberg.
5: Yeah, Rosenberg. Someone die in that one? I don't. That one was so short. Though. It was so short. Yeah. I don't even. I don't think that Requiem. was like Annihilation.
4: Like yeah, I don't think anyone died. Now I don't think so. But this one is called the last one. Yeah. So it's amazing. <laughs> um, I would say I would, honestly, I don't think Wiccan. I don't think they're gonna kill him. Um, it would be good for, like, the mutant thing now. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but, but get the backlash, though. So. It would get the backlash, yeah. But I think, unfortunately, Pabu will be, and I hate to say it, probably Moondragon or maybe even Gamora, which I hate to say it because they're both women. I don't want any of the, like, the, yeah, the, the, them. the few women characters we have <laughs> Well, I don't want them to die.
5: That's but, why I chose Quasar, because I was like, kill Quasar, right? Yeah, Once but I like, Alicia. Yeah, true. And we get just a solid woman. Yeah, that's just true. a woman. Yeah, but
4: that won't have that much depth, like, emotional. Like, like, people will be like, oh, no, he died. Like, the characters but like, we won't. There's probably some people that are super really yeah. friends, you know? I'm sorry if you are, and he dies. But if Moondragon dies, and that's an, um, a relationship that's gone. Yeah. And, like, we feel for that. And then if Gamora dies, and Star Lord and Nova are sad. Which I'm like, I hate to, you know, kill off a woman character just so the main characters can have a thing now. Right. So I'm like, I don't want that. Right. Now, for Moon Dragon, be different.
5: Actually, but you know who? Super Scroll. He, He's lived through all the freaking annihilation waves, and he's never fucking died. That would
4: actually, the Super Scroll dying, would be interesting, because he's like one of the glue that's helping, you know, hope Yeah. And he's like really on hopeful side. Like, he's had, I mean, he did the, you know, kill his mom. Yeah. Adopted
5: mom. He's trying to make amends. He's trying to make amends, and he's
4: really doing his part. And actually, that actually makes sense, because he's being written really well in this, Mm -hmm. and as a good person now. And he might actually
5: die. Yeah, because he's so he got shunned mm-hmm. out of the the scroll alliance. They they're like, oh, you're um, you're an embarrassment. You're the worst of us. And then he had to still fight for his people during annihilation. So he wanted to make amends as a hero. And then a bunch of his people died, and he still doesn't feel like the hero. I feel like him finally going down guns a blazing, and like if he's one of the main reasons at the end that they're able to defeat on he can finally have his heroic death
4: I would him. absolutely love that yeah. I would don't want him to die because I feel like he's just not becoming a character that I really likes and I really liked him yeah um, but I'm liking him in this story but I feel like that would have the deepest emotional impact at least from Hulkling yeah because he would sacrifice himself for Hulkling and make amends for killing his adoptive mom and become a whole full circle thing yeah. wow I think that's what's gonna happen yeah, I wanna put it past L. Ewing because it would be better than you know killing another queer character with wiccan or killing one of the one of the few women characters that are in space right now moon dragon or Gamora. so yeah the next the best the better option and still for the emotional pull, that's what you need i feel like if you don't the death doesn't have further the plot or have emotional pull to it then you should do it yeah unless it's like a super duper minor character and no one cares about um but that's why I was like, Captain Glory. What the
5: hell already? You just brought him back.
4: Yeah, right. Which but we don't we know don't, if he's dead. We yet. don't know if he's dead yet. Um, but yeah, the crew, the the super scroll, yeah, makes sense.
0: Hey everybody, Nico here one last time, and I'm here to talk to you guys about trade waiting. Now, we love doing this, and we've had a really good time. We're taking a look at recent stories that might have missed your radar. Now, while this one isn't directly X Men related King in Black, Symbiote Spider Man 1 through 5, it does connect to Black Knight, which we've been covering as well. So, it's kind of like a nice little tie in, and if you guys have any suggestions for us for trade waiting, Be sure to drop us a line over on Twitter where you can let us know what recent trade you guys think we should be covering. Until then, guys, we love making this show for you, so keep those mutant lights lit, those Krakoan gateways open. Enjoy this last segment, and we'll see ya.
6: Hey everybody, welcome to another segment of Trade Waiting, where we talk about recently released stories that have been released in their entirety. I'm Nathan, you can find me online at Twitter and Instagram at Dazzler AOA. I'm
0: Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action. that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N.
6: And today we are talking about a story that has recently been released on Trade, the amazing symbiote Spider-Man, King in Black Tie-In. So this story has been so fun, and it was brought to us by the writer Peter David. Greg Land did pencils. Jay Leistein was the inker. Frank Darmada was the colorist and V.C.'s Joe Sabino was the letterer. So like ah, this was such a fun 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 story and I like I can't get past just how fun it was. So I know we were talking a little bit before when you read through the story about the choice of cast for it. I'm pretty much in agreement in what you were thinking about it but I want to hear your thoughts about it.
0: Well so first of all let me say I didn't know that this thing existed. I think I remembered seeing like two years ago, there was a symbiote Spider-Man miniseries. Turns out there's been like four now, and this is the King in Black one, and I was just really entertained. You know, when I think Pat, I think a certain thing. When I think Greg Land, I think a certain thing, and I don't know that I thought either of them taking me back to you know, back in Black Spider-Man sort of times was what I I was really looking for, but I sunk into it and I had such a great time with it. And I think what maybe I enjoyed the most was it sort of read like a best parts version of a Spider-Man run. It was kind of like, this was like two years of Spider-Man and it was all of the guest spots he would have had. And it was the big, long boiling mystery in the background he would have (laughs) had, but we did it in five issues and, you know, I was a little unsure if I wanted to really read this kind of sorta, you know, not because of anything. Mm -hmm. I was like Spider-Man, you know, when you were like, oh, well, there's the Spider-Man trade. And I was like, all right. So Dane was in it and that was awesome. And we're talking about Black Knight over on, well, Black Knight, you can never have enough Monica, but you know, I thought to myself, Monica, who's in WandaVision. And then I thought to myself, Black Knight, who's about to be in Eternals and Kang, who we'll go with is the expected villain of Quantumania and Rocket Raccoon. Not the Beatles song. (laughs) The Collector, also from Guardians, like Rocket. It really felt to me like a who's who of tie-ins, which actually came up in our recent discussion of Shang-Chi, where we felt like that is reading like a who's who of tie-ins, so people who want to get ready for the movie can get ready for the movie, right? I know this was like, but this was so many people you (laughs) love, and it was like, so many people you love in the era you love them best is the thing, right? So was this just like an ice cream sundae? They just dropped into your lap and trade form?
6: It, it was. It was. Seeing Monica back as Captain Marvel was worth the price of a mission alone for me just because like, that's my Captain Marvel. Like I love Carol. Carol Danvers is great. I love her as a character. But like, you know, it's kind of like Doctor Who, Doctors, right? You always fall in love with the first one you're introduced to. So that's why Monica is always going to be my captain because that's who she was. And I love I love seeing her back in that day. I'm guessing the story takes place after Dane joins and before Monica leaves. So it had to have been in the late, like, two 70 to 80s of the Avengers, I'm thinking. So, like, it was kind of cool to see a tale back from that era, which is, like, my prime love for Avengers too, as well. And I'm like, ah, and Watu. Owatu is in this book. Like, oh, my God. Like, it had everything I could want that wasn't X-Men.
0: <laughs> and, you know, I-, I do hear you that it had everything but the X-Men. But I kind of feel like in some way, it really did have X spirit. And that's something I really appreciate about it. I always feel like one of the reasons that perhaps we didn't see more Peter, David and Chris Claremont collaborations at some point was because they do similar things, but completely yeah. differently. Oh, god, yeah. And it's that sort of big overarching story sort of creeping in out of nowhere. And I also read the Black Knight King and Black tie-in, yep. right? And I talked about it on the show with... Kevo and we did a, a thing in our Black Knight coverage uh, in our, you know we, we talked about that and now you know we're about to finish up Black Knight you know number five and I feel like one of the things that I appreciated was it's not that I thought the King in Black special didn't stand on its own but there was a lot of we know this sword can defeat Null and I was like but why why this sword this time I feel like l Woods every time I say that why this emission <laughs> <laughs> this time. It's the ammonium thyglocholate. And like, that's kind of what I feel here. Why this sword this time? It's sort of the Shadonium thyglocholate because I, number one, okay, let me rewind. Did you read King and Black?
6: Yes. Absolutely.
0: Okay, now I know that it was predominantly covered by Rod and Juan. They covered issues yep. one through four and I know that we kind of had a quick round table on how fucking cool it was. The X-Men were so all over that thing. Yeah. Not in some secret, shitty little way. No. Not like, oh, check out the recent X-Men King and Black mini-series that had no bearing on the plot. I mean, from Sword to the actual miniseries itself. X-Men played a big role. And I feel like because Sword was issues two, three, and four, and that was a lot of material. Yeah. I feel like the X-Men and King and Black, there's like a really lasting imprint there. And I would love to know what you thought about King and Black. To be honest, I did brush up on my KIB for this coverage of BK. And the thing I felt the most was King in Black was meant to be a story about transformation and change that maybe Skipped why the transformation and change matter how did you feel about king and black you know be- not necessarily beginning to end but you know one through five maybe think about the ending a little more than the beginning because you know
6: are right i think it was a great fun setup i think it was a really fun balls to walk kind of arc like it was like it didn't take the time it, it didn't take time to like set up like five issues where oh my god they're gonna like have this horrible thing happen and bam the horrible thing happens it happens right away so like you jump into it and you're like oh shit this is a story i loved it and and looking back on it now it's a lot better than i thought at the time i was a little burned out on these huge events that earth is always getting like on the verge of destruction like because we just didn't we just come out of like empire Empire. realms and it's just like it's like good god it would be so tiring to live in marvel 616 like the insurance premiums have to be out <laughs>
0: and that's why I think we had such a great time with Heroes Reborn because yeah. it wasn't the end of the universe; it was just a different universe, yeah. and we just had to get back to it. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah. By the end, I was actually pretty tired of King and Black. Not like, not that Donnie Cates didn't do a great job.
6: We oh, he did fantastic,
0: fantastic job. And I don't think you read Venom quite as aggressively as I did. I did no. a big, no. super Venom read for King and Black, and a lot of that, you know, <sighs> setup. <laughs> got moved right into Venom and Donny Cates is really good at kind of like rolling with the punches and you know there's an arc of his Venom not by him there's an arc of his Venom by Cullen Bunn who also did a lot Ooh. of the Venomized stuff and that's the War of the Realms arc Okay. so like you know Venom even managed to build up more Venom under another writer during another guy's crossover It's it's really yeah. interesting the road it took to get here but I loved the tie back to Silver Surfer Black. Had you read Black?
6: If not, it's been on my list for forever because isn't it Michael, Red right, who does the art or who does the art on that, isn't it? Um,
0: we live in the future, so know, we're right? just going to look it up. I personally grabbed the Silver Surfer Black Marvel Treasury Edition because oh. I thought it was just too beautiful and I loaned it out and I haven't gotten it back just yet. So uh, Trad Moore, Trad Moore, oh, who is okay. also...
6: I got it really confused. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, because you're
0: thinking of the really great Dan Slot Mike Alred run that That's has a very it. Doctor Who feel yeah. that preceded this by just a little, little bit. Okay. This was a special uh, edition. Silver Surfer got spat out of a void in Guardians of the Galaxy back into the past where he oh. faced Null like way in the past, which is why Null is like, do I recognize you? And Silver Surfer's like, we've met, but NBD. <laughs> I'm here to fight you. And we all think that Silver Surfer is going to be the one to fight him. And it turns out Silver Surfer is just here to bring Captain Universe and his surfboard so that Mjolnir and the surfboard could form some giant super axe. <laughs> I I have a lot of feelings about
6: this because tell me about your feelings nico listen <laughs> i
0: love love that donny cates saw a man worth saving in venom yep. okay i don't know that eddie brock is worthy and like he was he was on panel he was a bit like here's me holding one doesn't make me worthy you know what i mean <laughs> so i oh and now i got another look how worthy oh. i am <laughs> but like in all seriousness the guy's done some really unfucking believably disturbing things. And so has Thor. Yeah, yeah. You know, Cates is over on Thor and he's doing that now. But, like, for me, one of the things about worthiness is it comes from. From a place of pure desire to save the world. Right. And I kind of think in that moment it was maybe a little bit more like Eddie Brock was I have to save my son and kill this guy. And that's not the same thing as kill this guy is not save the world. And I just think the two are different and it was a cool visual. It was a cool super ability. But here's how I'm going to explain it away. I think it was Captain Universe. I think Captain Universe made him worthy. Are you a Captain Universe guy?
6: I've only got into the stories where Captain Universe like you know Captain Universe pops up here and there so I've only gotten to a few of the stories like I'm not like a huge like I've got to follow all the Captain Universe's kind of stuff kind of thing but I I don't know what about you like are you a big Captain Universe guy
0: I mean I am and I'm not I am and I'm not right like I I know my Captain Universe lore and I read the Jay Ferber miniseries that came out in like 2006 that had oh what it had Daredevil and X-23 and Invisible Woman Uh, I read that and you know it's funny we just had Jay on so it's it just came up earlier but that is my main you know formative oh this is what Captain Universe is oh cosmic spider-man is captain universe oh good to know (laughs) right that was kind of like my understanding of it for a really long time i think it's interesting i just think that the marvel universe is so over inundated with captain universe and the star brand and the phoenix force there's just so many the one special power things that kind of assigning this one a meaning oh he's the god of light the way null is the god of darkness yeah okay that that ties up another loose ends for me. Right. I I can kind of hand wave the rest that I need to hand wave. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not webbing myself with frustration. So, you know, I guess I guess at the end of the day, that's what I think about King in Black. It was a good story. The ending feels very abrupt. It just feels like it ends. It doesn't yeah. feel like there's much of an ending. He just sort of kills Null in a way that doesn't feel super satisfactory. It's just like 10 pages of killing Null.
6: Yeah. All right. I was so obviously like you mentioned, I, I really hadn't read Venom as m- really that much. I, Eddie Brock never really appealed to me. Like, I'll just be honest. Like, he's uh, like, you think I'd like jerks because I'm like madly in love with Gambit. But like, it's just like, not. Nah, eh, I just never saw that redeemable thing about him. So going into the miniseries, it, I was a little lost as to know who Noel was. I was like, who the fuck is this weird guy? Like, but I, And at that point, I did really like the miniseries and their ability to sort of tie it in and bring us back to like hey this is some of the story like actually the mighty the return of the Valkyrie actually did a lot of filling that backstory in for me because I was like oh cool and like I loved how they that miniseries that wasn't hyped up actually dealt a big blow to Null too even so like I'm like oh my god cool yay and then I'm like Danny's a Valkyrie again but like I did love all of that I loved I loved a lot of the tie-ins like in like Manchester 4 um Black Knight was a good issue and this story that we're talking about right here symbiote spider-man really drew me in because of the characters involved but it gave me a lot of history into null so upon rereading it again i'm like oh cool i actually kind of understand a lot more of what's going on than i would have before
0: i feel like yeah you know the times did a lot of heavy lifting on yeah. king and black and it's so interesting because that really does bring us right back to symbiote spider-man king in black because It this did kind of the heavy lifting so the Black Knight one shot could be a one shot that led into his new mini series and you know the parallel constructions of that are a little crazy and to sort of zero in on this mini series I feel like Black Knight didn't belong in it I feel like Rocket Raccoon didn't belong in it I felt like Monica did a thing only Monica could do I felt like Black Knight did a thing only the Ebony Blade could do and obviously you can't just take it from him (laughs) but the only thing I got from his inclusion here was making his King in Black one shot make a little more
6: sense. Okay, But that makes sense.
0: For my money, this Dane had very few lines and very little agency. Okay. Now, how did you feel about... Because I mean, to me, it's a trade-off. Like, you've only got so much room for so many people. But we've got Smythe, we've got Jay Jonah, we've got Neil deGrasse Tyson getting fired. We've I know, that got... I loved that line. That was really yeah. cute. <laughs> we've got Monica, we've got Black Knight, we've got Rocket, we've got Kang Kang who is so great in character here this was some really great Kang you know it's just so many people that it meant that somebody had to lose some page time I'm really glad it wasn't Monica who I thought was a big highlight of most of her pages how did you feel about that sort of trade off with Dane having to take kind of a reduced role so his sword
6: could be more prominent I didn't mind it as much because what Dane we got was so in character with that era it was so Dane it was so dane with like he was just dane like it was so dane it's not like the modern take or interpretation on Dane it was like that classic like Avengers like you know he's not like this big mess that he is now kind of guy but like i i, I kind of I really enjoyed seeing that I was like oh yeah this is why this guy was an Avenger because like he really was pretty much on his game at the time like yeah like if you look at him now you're like wow who the hell did they look that guy in the Avengers? <laughs> like, he's what? having a tough day they're like they're like they make him sit with D-Man at the reunions (laughs) the pictures they're like go sit with D-Man I love D-Man though
0: I love D-Man and speaking of heroes that look like other heroes all right, are you a Greg
6: Land guy so I I like to poke fun at Greg Land online I don't hate I like his style I know that there's a lot of reusing of poses and you know he'll see some he'll take great inspiration from like things he sees in real life and articles and stuff and I, I the the tracing allegations too, but I do like, I do like his style. Without even knowing that it's Greg Land, I could look at the page and know it's Greg Land. Like it's that stylized. So it's one of the few artists out there that is that instantly recognizable to me. Did love his run on on Unc- and canny. Like that was amazing. Yeah. Uh, like what was it the five hundred eras right? Yeah, it's so, like yeah. the
0: quarantine era.
6: Yeah, yeah, and it was like in uh, you know obviously did my favorites like Karma and Dazzler featured heavily in that stuff. So I was like, of course I was reading it and I I do I I like his art style. I get why people don't like him, maybe, but I do like the art style. It really is very yeah, it's good. It's
0: pleasing. It's you know, I think he and Darmada get a little too much shit for what a lot of people do. Yeah. I think this is much less I'm gonna use the word offending art than going back, you know, 15 years ago when he was doing work on ultimate Marvel. I think this is yeah. a lot less offending. I think Darmada's colors as oversaturated and almost goopy as they are. Like there's times it feels like there's so much pen ink in his darks on the page that it's it's almost got to be heavier, right? Yeah. I think his work complements Land so well in a way that even if you don't like them together, you know that they belong together. You just might not like yeah. it. And I feel like they both get a lot of shit for not being able to do things that aren't photorealistic. I feel okay, like that's yeah. one of the most consistent criticisms of their pairing, but my response is going to be, I never once thought that that shadow creature lacked for identity. Yes. Mr. E, as a character, has no defining qualities except he is a blob. And despite being an amorphous blob, he still retained a sense of physical agency. Yeah.
6: yeah, And, and he really Greg Land's really grown in some ways like whereas before there was a lot of and it might just be the times right before there was a lot of over sexualization of some of the of the poses of the characters in this art here not like like you were kind of saying none of it was like offensive like that none of it was none of it was like i didn't look at monica and say like why is she standing in that pose like why is her mouth open like that like nothing like that agreed yeah yeah so like in that way like i think he's grown with the times at least and is not pushing that over sexualization and which was a lot of what people were more critical of. Full story like did it really serve much of a point right? Like I don't know that it did. It just really
0: set up that the sword would make more sense in King and Black later.
6: Right but like just like the whole cast of the sense of adventure it was very true like nobody felt out of place. Writing the characters was really good like Pad like for all of his flaws and foibles like he has these characters down packed. For
0: all of his uh, flaws and foibles, yes, I would agree. Peter, Allen David is stuck in the 1980s. (laughs) It
6: isn't that part of, isn't that part of his flaws and foibles, right?
0: That's like part of his charm. It's the same way Claremont kind of is. It's the same way that I feel like whenever I pick up a Bendis comic, it just reads like 2004. You can't really do much to change it. It's who his voice is. It's that John Fogarty joke. You know, somebody sued me for writing a song that sounded too much So, okay, John Fogerty had been the lead singer of Creedence Clearwater Revival to get out of his record contract he sold the rights to his songs about 10 years later 15 years later he writes a song that sounds too much like one of his original songs and his former manager sues him because he owns the rights to the song and John Fogerty went to court with his guitar and played the songs to prove why they're completely different and he ultimately said I'm John Fogerty and I got sued for writing songs that sound too much like John Fogerty you know when you put Peter David on something meant to look like it's like something that meant to sound like it's from 1985 and you put Greg Land on something that's meant to look like it's from that like 2012 back in black yeah. era when you put two people who can so evoke a previous era really cleanly together I think it works really well I really liked how the team played together creatively it made me feel like I could accept the conceits because there were some conceits that I didn't love here. Kang just disappears into the night. Like you said, this didn't really serve any purpose. Kang just disappears and Monica just is like, I'm going to go back to being Monica because she should, right? That's that famous joke of anybody could have come and gone from Avengers Mansion in the 1970s and 80s and nobody would have fucking known in 1990s. (laughs) Everybody had a goddamn membership card to the Avengers Mansion. It was just Jarvis was just fucking like, how many fucking dry cleaning trips today? So, you
6: know, all those bomber jackets. Oh my God. Uh, (laughs) Like how many like, they I hope they got a bulk discount on that, but like... <laughs> and I hope Janet was just, yeah, guys, I'll make you as many
0: bomber jackets as you need. Just keep ordering them, guys. No big deal. Janet was just printing money. <laughs> so I feel like, you know, the only really negative I have to say about this arc is what you've already said. You said it so beautifully. Like, I just don't know why. Just just the why. Not that it wasn't good. Not that once I had it, it wasn't there. But it feels like Marvel realized it's a bad idea not to have the symbiote suit and print it all points because people will buy it for its visual. And yeah. it feels like they said, how can we help out Spurrier's Black Knight story? Because as much as I love Sy Spurrier, it sometimes feels like he always had to cut three really vital story pages yeah. from the script. Yeah. And, you know, I've I would probably give this a pretty high three webs up, I guess. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I loved the characterization. I loved the pacing and the plotting. The it no, it had one moment that I can't I can't go another second without talking about. Oh, good. Watch me was the best line of dialogue a watcher has ever said. When the watcher was just like, I'm going to explode now. Bye. Right? Like that was...
6: Oh, my God, oh, that was good.
0: And Ulik was fun, you know, for yeah. a Thor guy. I don't know how I fucking skipped Ulick so hard. You know, his sister. I need to see her appear in a thousand more books. Right? Cosmo was cute. Yeah, you know what? There were so many guest stars. I'm going to up this to four webs out of five. There were so many guest stars. I, did you read this live or did you read it trade?
6: I jumped in when I saw Monica on the cover. I was like, OK, what is this? And then then I went back and read it. And then I was like, oh, this is cool. But I was like, Monica comes in and she's <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like oh my god! Cause like I'm like superstar fan of Monica. Reading it live then during during the event, I didn't really tie it together as much as now I can. Looking back and rereading it now and saying oh, like it did serve that point to set up the Black Knight sword thing. But at the time, it just felt like like a really fun nostalgia trip that maybe didn't really think I needed at the time, but I like getting it.
0: And I'm really glad you made that determination, because that does bring me to something, you know, this is a new thing we're doing, trade waiting, right? We're experiencing creating this programming live, and one of the things that I realized after our previous episode was, I had said, yeah, I would buy this on Comixology about the Power Pack story, and you said, I might check Marvel Unlimited first, see if it's for you, and if you want to support it, buy it then. And I'm going to say I would not be satisfied if I purchased this on Comixology. I don't know that a flashback insert retcon tie-in to a major crossover featuring the sort of background origin, right? Because if Null is a result of a combination of Thor because he's the dark god in God of Thunder Five, I think it is, or six, six, right? Six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the dark god crashed into the crater in the gore um, solo issue. And, you know, when you think about the fact that Venom is all Spider-Man anyway, and how could symbiote Spider-Man not be a part of the Venom crossover? Right. It it sort of feels like this is a a cute way because there is a bunch of Thor and, you know, this was a, and let's just say it now, Kang is in Loki. So it's still a little bit more Thor. It felt like kind of a cute way to say I love you to something without actually ever being able to say the words. So I guess this was the Han Solo of (laughs) tie-ins. And I don't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. A Peter David Greg Land book is a Han Solo. It thinks oh, yeah, it is totally, at it least. Totally Han
3: Solo. Yeah. And,
0: yeah. This is, I don't know that I needed another Han Solo running around. If I wanted to check out these characters, you could do a whole lot worse than spend an hour reading this on Marvel Unlimited. I would not myself purchase it on Comixology. Having purchased some of it and then gone back and read it, what do you think about the purchasability or the value of this story?
6: Story. Uh, so unless you are a super fanatic of some of these characters like Monica or Dane, Cosmo, Cosmo. Oh my God. That was so, like, ah, uh, I, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't go out and buy it. I would read it on Marvel Unlimited. You'll have a good time. You'll enjoy <laughs> it. Like it, you're not going to regret spending an hour. It takes to read you on that. No. But like when I've gone out and spent that money, if I wasn't a super fan of these characters, no, I, I don't think I would have needed to. And it didn't add that much to the story of the spirit black night tale to really make it worthwhile we we know we know the, the sword's powerful and important so it's like, magic
0: it does it's, does. Magic. it's got you an evil way
6: like ugh. but like until you mentioned it i didn't put together how much this cast was like even the more we're thinking about it and the more we're talking about it, how mcu this cast is yeah for a book at the time we didn't really know that how big of a role monica would play in wandavision we didn't really know loki would be i mean uh that's Kang Coming through Loki, Loki. Yeah. So, like looking at it now with everything that's been released and knowing that Dane is gonna show up in Black Knight, I mean in Eternals, is like every guest star of this, except for Ulick. I don't think Ulick showed up in Thor yet. Maybe his four Ulick will show up in Love and Thunder.
0: He's such a big villain during that source material that he really could. He's such a major villain in the Jane era. Yeah. That I would I would think it's very possible. And I don't know how neither of us have realized it. Oh my God, black suit Spider Man is a Venom tie-in. Yep, like the Venom movies. Yeah,
6: Yeah. so like every character was carefully placed to to tie in with those characters, so that like you can see, oh, cool, this is how the MCU characters would get along if we put them all in a comic book together. So like, ah, like we got some really cute Rocket moments, but Rocket makes no sense being in that book at all. Like, what the like? I I was just like, what? Did he serve a purpose? (laughs) Like, not like, not like in a negative critical
0: way, but what did he bring to this? story.
6: He did he guide them to nowhere or did Kang guide them to nowhere? I'm kind of like I think Rocket guided them to nowhere couldn't Kang have yeah and like they used his ship no they used oh my god yeah no I don't know yeah they could use yeah. Tony Stark. yeah we could
0: have just combined it down a little bit I yeah. guess rocket always fun and kind of sounds like yeah. Peter David in general like yeah. you know the voicing so I get it I, I just don't think he added anything special
6: no the Cosmo really not I mean yeah they were on nowhere so you expect him to show up like Cosmo didn't really add anything to it either like yeah. y- Ulick B. Being on nowhere is kind of weird. <laughs> like
0: it's a little random. I accept yeah. that people can do magic space travel and spa- space travel <laughs> magically, however they need to do it. You know, with manifold out there, uh, yeah. proven that anything is possible when you ask the universe real nice. I can imagine that just about anybody can be anywhere. Yeah. But don't do it and then be like, duh. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. that's the one thing I don't need. Don't be like, oh, of course, Ulrich showed up.
6: <laughs> like, uh, uh, uh... yeah, it was it was very random. Cat, I enjoyed their actions like the only one who was a little out of character to me and they did a decent job explaining why but was Watu just because Uatu got a lot too involved into it that he would have never gotten that involved in the story like he would have been a lot more subtle like hey go over here and get this thing you know like kind of thing just like bouncing things
0: off his shiny bald head
6: (laughs) (laughs) spotlighting things (laughs) he's like beacon
0: I kind of love that he was like my future friend family won't let me come save the day so that's that
6: mm. a way, I, any, anytime you see Uatu I'm like oh like I, now that Uatu's back I want them to reboot What If like as that What If like series like that it was because it was the best part of What If like even though they had some great stories but like Uatu was the best part
0: I would love if they rebooted What If but I would probably have it be digital only with hard yeah. covers or trades I think we need to start moving into a digital only Marvel you can't handle this many titles. That's why you have to cancel so many so quickly. And I think people would much sooner buy a hardcover with five digital issues in it to catch up on a series that then becomes monthly in shops. Like, I think you can make one switch easier than the other. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. But all said and done, I loved this. I probably will check out more of the Symbiote Spider-Man stories. I think you've mentioned there's a few other really interesting ones because you've kept reading the series, right?
6: Yep. There's one out now, Carnival shows up in the issue so i'm like yay ties into the valkyries so i'm like woo like and i'm guessing carnilla will probably show up in love and thunder probably oh let's keep
0: everything crossed